cul-de-sac contemplating murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Pseudo clean record hope got so I haven't worked out, like really worked out in three weeks. And I feel like the incredible shrinking man, I was getting all buff, but that's nothing compared to compared to Josh. What were you doing? It's like you're looking <laughs> a little uncomfortable right now. <laughs> looking a little uncomfortable. So, so you know, you, you, you all, all three of us, you know how we always talk about it's like, hey, for, you know, for folks, for, you know, men our age, the average, you know, male in America, um, you know, the three of us, we're fairly, you know, we're fairly fit. Um, you know, I could still go out and rip out pull-ups and push-ups and, you know, stuff. I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not running, you know, two miles in 14 minutes or 13 and a half minutes anymore. But so anyway, so yesterday I get up, you know, yesterday morning, knock out some exercise and, um, uh, then, you know, around nine o'clock, I, I knock out the yard, right. You know, mowing and trimming and, blowing off the driveway and the porch and everything. And, uh, so yeah, after a little while after, you know, could you, you don't ever make the mistake of, you know, going and taking a shower, like right after you're done because you're, you know, you're going to get out of the shower and you're just going to keep sweating. So, you know, wait a little while, hang out and, you know, drink some water and kind of poke around. And, uh, so I go and take my shower and get dressed. And I was like, all right, man, you know, throw on some socks is, uh, we were getting ready to, to head out and dude, I sat down on the side of my tub to put on my socks. I got one sock on and I'm putting the other sock on. And all of a sudden it felt like I had like Leonidas had shoved a spear into <laughs> my lower back. And I was like, Oh my God, like what is happening? Like so, that shit seized up. Just to recap. <laughs> You were sitting on the okay because I imagined you sitting on the bed. But you, no, it's even better. You're sitting on the side of the tub, but on yeah. socks. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting. I was like putting on socks, and all of a sudden, dude, it just like you know, and you're like you know, because you're balancing a little bit, and I like you know, it's just like twist. Just I do like a quarter turn, not even a quarter turn of my torso, and it's just like, geek, and I just did you make a noise? Nothing. Did you make a noise? Yeah, I made a noise. <laughs> what did it sound like? Dude, it was like, a, it, it was like, yeah. so it's like, you, you, your dogs, your dogs have squeaker toys. Yes. <laughs> That's what, you ever step on them? You ever like step on them inadvertently? You're walking through the house like early in the morning, something like that. It's like, beep. You're, you know, you're, oh. Like that's what it was. Like I squeaked and I was like, oh, it was like a squeak and a grunt. It was the most ridiculous thing. I, it was like not my finest moment. Um, and, uh, I'd give anything to see that. So sit <laughs> there, and so, dude. So it gets like it gets better, right? Because I was like, "Ooh, ooh, man!" That like, wow, that 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 is not that is not good. You know, we've all been hurt before, and we've all been injured, and you know the difference, right? You're like, "Oh, I'm hurt," and there's times you're like, "No, dude, like I'm like I'm legit injured." I was like, "Ooh, man, I might be legit injured." So <laughs> I was like, "I need to lay on. I need to lay flat for a minute on something hard." So I just kind of like slide off. <laughs> you know, the side of the tub, like gingerly, like down to the bathroom floor and I'm laying there and then I start thinking, right. Everything starts going through my mind. I'm like thinking, you know, the first thought is I can't believe I'm this week. I was like, I can't believe I'm this week. Here I am. I was like, I, you know, I'm a barrel chested steely. eye, like, and I'm laying on my bathroom floor. Cause I hurt my back putting on my socks. It's like, this is terrible. Like I can't, like, I can't go like this. Like I just can't. Did the dogs like, come up? Did they did they see you on the floor? 
No, dude, my dog. No, dude, my dog. He, he was downstairs sleeping somewhere. <laughs> That's what always happens, dude. I end up laying on the floor for that that firm surface. And then it's like my dogs know. It's like, oh, they come yeah. up and try to lick you in the face. They're and like, like, look uh, at this old bastard right here. It reminded me of – so you you guys remember back in uh, back in the Iraq days, in the heyday, it was generally like – yeah, like six thirty, seven o'clock every morning, you get your, you know, you get your Katusha rockets and your your indirect wake up call, and uh, you know, it, it, nine times out of ten, you know, I generally just kind of like rolled over and went back to sleep, uh, you know, when that happened, and so there was one time that uh, that I heard him, and you know, I was laying in my chew and everything, and heard him was like, okay, it's you know, it's about that time, and uh, so I, I kind of rolled over and went back to sleep. And, uh, but it kept going and then it kept getting louder. And I was like, Hmm, man. Okay. The nearest, like, you know, the nearest bunker is like maybe a hundred meters, maybe 150 meters from my chew. And I was like, I saw somebody get hit. Dude. So on one of my rotations, I saw somebody get hit running to a bunker. And so after that, I was like, I'm never moving. Like, I'm not, I'm just not going to move. Like, I, you know, it's like, I'm going to stay right where I'm at. You know, it'll be over in a few minutes and, you know, you, you go on about your day and do whatever. And, uh, what started getting closer and closer and it got, it got close enough that round exploded and it, you know, it shattered, it, it basically showered my chew with, with gravel. That's how close it was. And I was like, Oh, okay. Now you got my attention right now. Now I'm I'm awake. I'm fully awake now. (laughs) Well, I was zipped up in my sleeping bag, right? That, that three piece sleeping bag, the black green, you know, with the, you know, I had that, um, and I was, I was zipped up in that. And, uh, so I was like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm not going to get up. I, I heard my, my neighbors, you know, you know, scrambling out their doors and they're, you know, running, you know, for the bunker. I was like, nah, I'm not doing that. It's like, I'm, let me just get out of my sleeping bag. And I'm basically just, you know, going to put my pillow over my head and, you know, go back to sleep. And so I'm trying to get out of my sleeping bag, but the zipper stuck. And so I start fighting with the zipper and now another round goes off and it's super close. Like it hit two chews away from me. It, it completely demolished that chew. And by this point, like I'm, I'm thinking like, this might be it. Like this might be like, this might be the one. And so I'm trying to get out my sleeping bag and I just start to start like thinking like, not like this, not like this. Come on, come on. I can't go like this not stuck in my sleeping bag. And so that was, it kind of reminded me as I'm laying on the floor yesterday, you know, after hurting my back, put it on my socks, you know, I was like, not like this. I can't, you know, not, not like this. It that would have been a great story for uh, like a book of short stories about, you know, that would have been great. You know, you I guys should write one of that. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of the, what happened to Sean B you know, Seamus, yeah. what happened? He was, you know, I don't know if you guys were ever in Mosul, but we had a, a chew right outside the the jock or whatever we called it. Talk. I don't know. And he woke up, he, he thought he heard a bang. Like, you know, like it was like more like a baseball bat hitting the side of the, the chew. He's like, Oh, somebody's screwing around or something, or maybe a vehicle backed into my chew. <laughs> he gets up and there's, I think the way I remember the story is the, uh, there was the dude, so they came banging on his door and an RPG had like hit right next to his chew and not detonated. Oh, and, wow. and they had, they had to bring in EOD and everything to clear that thing out. And he slept there <laughs> with like an RPG, probably like six feet from his head slept for like three hours. It's just, Holy dude, moly. when it's your time, it's your time. Like you said, you know, 
you saw somebody get hit run into a bunker. I never saw that, but my 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 logic was, dude, these are not you know precision. They're in it's indirect fire, so it's like, dude, I'm just. I'd be safer in a bunker, but why am I going to expose myself like out in the open for a hundred meters or whatever it is? I think I got in a bunker twice. Yeah. And, yeah. and out of what, two dozen times or more. Yeah. But whatever. Roger, did you ever, that ever happen to you? Now, you know, what's, what's crazy is the, I mean, we just like everybody else, you take rockets all the time. So, I mean, you know, out in uh Salerno, I mean, it was just a daily event, but what's, what's crazy is, you know, day one, especially that first night, you're all like uppity and jittery and everything incoming outgoing, ah, bunker, bunker, bunker. Everybody's dude by like week two, it's crazy at two in the morning, how you know the difference between outgoing and incoming, you know, you hear it. You're like, Oh, that's outgoing. I'm good. I'm going back to sleep. And then kind of like Josh, you know, it's like you hear some incoming like, ah, that was probably about 300 or no, I heard the whistle. We're good to go. That, that, that went over the camp or, or whatever. Like, ah, we're good to go. Whatever. But you know, it kind of like you, it's the, I mean, they had the bunkers, but it's like, hey, dude, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And I'm a firm believer, kind of like with uh, some other places in the past, like Benghazi and this and that, like they already know where all that stuff is scoped out. So if there's any type of precision, you know, th- that's the first place they're going to hit. So, but I mean, we know a lot of these coups or, or point of origins, how they launch them. They, they, uh, yeah, there's, there's no math to that thing. It's like, hey, Americans are that way and uh, point this thing and, and fire it off and wherever it hits, it, it hits. So, yeah. Especially after you know most places started getting the uh, that Q thirty six counter uh, counter battery radar, um, yeah, you know they locked that poo in within seconds, and uh, you had counter battery fire going out. Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy, but this, yeah, but that this, was this is how cowboy it was in Afghanistan. Uh, my, I've been there a couple times before, but they decided the ISAF commander decided that the best people to go try to find the point of origin before they had those, those the vectoring stuff was to send the CI human team out and try to find the point of origin. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, man, let's go. This was before AWG. Hell yeah. That, this was before yeah. AWG. So we, we came up with a system. We'd find the impact and, you know, dude, we didn't know what we were doing, you know, but we figured out a system. We were getting hit so many times that we'd go out and find roughly the point of origin, like probably three times out of five, we'd find it. And those guys have beat feet. The ISAF commanders just want to know where it came from. You know, it, it, well, we weren't going out there to kill anybody. We just, you know, want to know where it came from. But, dude, uh, TRADOC came down uh, to ISAF and talked to us for a long time. And, a, well, they talked to us for about a week. Not just about that, but about stuff we were doing. And, uh, you know, AWG was created kind of shortly after that. Sure. And that's one of the things that a- AWG did. Uh before those systems came along. Yeah, it was, it was some cowboy stuff. I, I'm lucky to be alive, man. The stuff we were doing in Afghanistan was dumb. I mean, it, in re- <laughs> it was fun. It was a lot of fun, but it was dumb, man. It was so dumb. We drove by a truck. Uh, we were just outside, way outside, in between Jalalabad and Kabul. And we were screwing around, not screwing around, but we were, you know, we, we had something to do. But after we got done doing it, we were kind of just, you know, uh, we found some AKs and we were shooting off those AKs, you know, seeing if they'd work. We're just driving down this road and a truck full of Taliban drives right by us. And we basically just waved at each other. We were so shocked to see each <laughs> other out in the middle of nowhere. Their engagement wasn't even on anyone's mind. It was like, oh, shit. I mean, these guys were t- Taliban up, man. They were in the back of one of those, uh, uh, one of those Toyotas, you know, and just 
we were so shocked. Well, the times Nobody changed. Pulled out the weapon. We just kept going. When you when I you look at it. like the early years when we were there, I mean, I think you get away with a lot more of that because I just look at the the different rotations in your it, even because our numbers were so great early on. It's like we almost had more freedom of movement because they're like, okay, like hey strategically, even with the Taliban, right? Like they're just not going to just like randomly, you know, schwack. So it's like, Hey, there, you have to have, you know, some method to the madness. Uh, and then once we started drawing down, like with the last tour, dude, you couldn't go anywhere. I mean, I remember the first one I was able to walk off the fob, uh, you know, there's a bread shop out there and a goat herder and this and that, and you kind of dick around a little bit or whatever, but dude, by the last tour, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not leaving the fob unless you're convoyed up and you're rolling out with, you know, eight MRAP and, and all that other stuff. That's a good point because if that same uh, thing would have happened in because that that was what two thousand five I think two thousand four what I just described if that right. would have happened in two thousand seventeen there would have been a oh, firefight yeah you'd have been dead well yeah maybe yeah <laughs> those guys were well <laughs> yeah you're right you're right because yeah just numbers just numbers right yeah yeah because they did have more folks than we did yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, there was definitely, we definitely did a lot of dumb things. Um, I think one of the, I don't know, if, I don't know if it was the dumbest thing I did. Maybe, uh, yeah, not the dumbest thing I did, but not smart. Rode a, uh, <laughs> rode a four wheeler down highway one, um, in, uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, cause obviously uh, soft skin four wheeler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I'm talking about, yeah. Like, you know, Bubba's, you know, four wheeler that he, you know, he takes but what if they hit me in the face. Um, it's a risk we were willing to take. That's right. It was uh, so we needed to get, you know, we needed to get somewhere and uh, and do some stuff. And there weren't enough seats, um, you know, in the I think we were going with the PRT uh, to to, you know, they were going to hand out rice and flip flops or, or, or something. And uh, we needed to go and there wasn't enough seats. And it was like, well, we got a four wheeler and the PRT commander. He was a uh, he was a white side uh, seal. And, you know, he just kind of like looked at us. He was like, hey, man, if you guys are good with it, I'm good with it. And we were like, OK, we're good with it. Um, we may, have, yeah, we, you know, we may have not been completely honest on the risk assessment, uh, you know, that we uh, our kind of that we pushed up. <laughs> <laughs> but here it is, you know, it's funny because, you know, we're sitting there, we're getting ready to bust the gate. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, probably four or five MRAPs. And then there's us. There's, you know me on the back and and then an 18 series guy driving this uh you know this quad and you know these people are walking by you know and they're like oh man that's badass you guys are gonna go get some blah blah, blah. and you know we're just kind of like smiling laughing at him they're walking off and he <laughs> he looks back at me and he's like this is the dumbest thing i've ever done i'm pretty sure and i was like well i said look at it this way i was like if we get hit with an ied it's gonna be quick i said we're not even gonna know it so we're all good you know, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was, we were, you know, going down Highway One, passing, you know, cars and people on the side of the road. They were probably looking at that and they were probably like, don't mess with that, dude. That's a trap. <laughs> that right there, like, He's that's crazy. a trap. Loco. Yeah. Yeah. Gringo, loco gringos. Um, they were like, yeah, dude, don't mess with that. I, I could see Another, Josh on his four wheeler, akimbo style with his glocks. Like, oh, 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 oh. That's, that's gray, man. That's gray, man. AF, man. I get another good story for the book, you know. <laughs> There, there is a good story in the, yeah, the, the you, man. You great guys should book. put one out. There's a, a great book by A.J. Todd and Bucky Calhoun called Snafus, Fubars, Tarfus, and Other Sorted Tales, where you may read stories like you've been hearing so far. There's a pretty, some pretty <laughs> dumb stuff we did back in the day, did or saw. 
I, it was, you know, when you think about it though, you, you, especially you look back on it, you know, and you're like, man, the things that I did and I lived through things that I did were, you know, it should not have turned out well, like it should not have turned out the way it turned out. You're like, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually really lucky. Um, you know, the only, I tell you the only time probably in I, you know, in all my travels, the one time that I was legit, like, like, oh shit, like this, like this has a potential to be very, very bad. Cause you know, most times, you know, if you're, if you're out and you get into a tick, your training takes over, right? You're just like, okay. And you generally have, you know, a number of, you know, of mates there, they have big guns too. And you know, you have, you know, you have Apaches and A-10s and everything that you can call, you know, you, you have a lot of things at your disposal, but, um, it, it's, I, I did include that story in the book, uh, was when I got left on an objective by myself in Mosul. <laughs> like, that was the one time that oh. was the one time where I was like, Oh shit. Oh God. Like this, like, it's like, I was thinking Nick Berg, orange jumpsuit, like YouTube, like all bad. Not like, like that was this. the one time. Yeah. Not like this, <laughs> not like this. And I'm thinking about, you know, what it happened everything. Like and then, you know, then I, now I picture myself laying on my bathroom floor because I hurt my back. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> to bring it full circle i was like and now this and now this i was just like oh how the how the mighty have fallen how the mighty so, by the way have you guys of, seen go ahead hang on have you, have you guys seen ct fletcher lately no like a no. picture of him dude you gotta no. google that stuff so he had like a, a heart transplant in 2017 different dude man different dude guys gotta weigh like 140 pounds you know, uh, foot's all swollen because of anti-reject. Like, you know, he'd been all over YouTube. They still play some of the old YouTube videos, whatever. I watched, um, he's got a video out now called, like, The Last Will and Testament Somebody Produced. I think they produced it, like, the last two years. It's not even the same guy. Like, when I saw the, I thought it was clickbait. When I first saw the image of it, uh, I was like, oh, this is clearly clickbait to get me to click on CT Fletcher, whatever. You click on it. No, it's him. And it's about 11, 12 minutes long. Incredible. And oh, by the way, I don't care what he says. That dude was on roids. I'm just letting you know that. Oh yeah, him and Liver King. You guys seen the Liver King? Uh-uh. No. Was, oh my god. So the Liver King is this new YouTube star or TikTok, whatever he is, and he's all about you know you got to eat organ meat. That's that's his thing. You got to eat organ meat, and this dude does feats of strength that are just it's freakish. And man, yeah, look up Liver King. This guy, and he swears all he eats is you know liver, testicles, heart. You know, he said he credits that to his physique, bro. And he says, no, I don't use steroids. No, that guy is on the juice. You you cannot look like that. You looking him up, Josh? You can't look like that, dude. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty cut dude. up. And he's old. I mean, these people are old. Yeah. Like, I mean, they were like older than us. Like we're getting, I mean, we get to the point where you know, when I was reading about C.T. Fletcher and they were talking about, I guess he was on the Joe Rogan show uh, years ago and, and he admitted early on in his career he was uh, he was on steroids and then he since got off and it's all natural or whatever. And then they had this guy who was critiquing his interview and, and his workouts and and then the guy's like a nutritionist and stuff. He's like, basically, you have to look up natural bodybuilding, like true natural bodybuilding competitions where they test once a week and this and that and they show pictures. Like, this is outside of just the genetic freak, this is about as big as you can get. And you see these dudes, I mean, dude, he was like, you figure he had his heart transplant when he was like, what, 60 years old. And that dude's yeah. like 270 and yoked and dude, I'm struggling as it is at 46. Yeah. But you know, I mean, 
here's the other thing, you know, CT flat. And I'm not saying he wasn't on steroids, anything like that, you know? Um, but like, that's his job though. Like for a long time, that was his job to go to the gym every day. So CT's, I mean, his job every day is to go to the gym. If my job was to go to the gym every day and I basically, you know, lived in the gym, I'd probably be pretty yoked. Um, well, that's, you know, that's like well. Chris Hemsworth, like Chris Hemsworth or Brad Pitt. You know, yeah. it's, it's amazing. They get, you know, they get the the news that they're going to do it. I think we might've talked about this before early, early on, but they get the news, you know, a year, six months out. Hey, you're going to be filming about four scenes where your shirt is off. So we're going to film all of those on the same day. And it's going to be, you know, this time, eight months from now, dude, you get in shape. Literally. It's like, I think Robert Downey Jr. said it. You, you work out for six months to look good for six minutes. And, and yeah, and he, so, so Chris Hemsworth, he's kind of a freak of nature anyway, but you know, like these Brad Pitts and guys who aren't yoked normally, you know, they, they have all that time, nutritionists, physical therapists, the nutritionist is the big piece. Oh, and, yeah, but, and I think they're he also looks fit. Like when you look at Brad Pitt, he got fit. These guys here, we're talking about the CG Fletcher. Those oh, are yoked. Yeah. Okay. There's a difference even, between like, I'm in shape, you know, by stars, the way. Even yeah. those Hollywood stars are, are, are jabbing oil into their butt, man. Every, I mean, how, how, why would you not do that? Why would you not do that? You know, yeah. we're not talking about uh, sports, even playing field. There's no cheating when it comes to, you know, taking your shirt off in front of the camera. <laughs> that, that's, hey, man, all is fair when it comes to that. But, you know, I, I wish these guys, you know, C.T. Fletcher, you said he admitted it early on in his career. Uh, but like Liver King and all these people, no, man, this is all natural. Dude, just admit it. Just admit what you're doing. I like the way Joe Rogan handles it. He 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 tells the whole world everything he does, and that includes testosterone uh, therapy. And he's yeah. like, "Yeah, this is what it does, and this is how you do it." And this is, you know, it, I, I'm the healthiest I've ever been. I just admit it, man. You know, don't be like Lance Armstrong. Yeah, or Barry. The, um, <laughs> you know, it's it, CT. You know, CT Fletcher. Yeah, because I, you know, I saw him, and he, you know, because he always talks about, you know, how he had you know, emergency open heart surgery, you know, he flatlined on the table three times during surgery and, and everything. And yeah, once you saw him after his heart transplant, cause he was on, uh, he was on Joe Rogan after, um, his heart transplant as well. And when, you know, I saw him on there and yeah, man, you're like, Ooh, man, that is, that is the, that is not the CT Fletcher, you know, that, that I listened to, um, and that I watch, you know, while I'm working out, you know, as he tells me, you know, what a POS I am. Um, <laughs> I love his, you know. some of his quotes, dude. I love it. His dude, his video, his, his videos in the gym are awesome, you know, and he's, it, but he's spot on though. Right. You know, people, you know, people, they'll, they, they comment on his YouTube video and stuff like that. It's like, Oh, you're not going, you know, you're not going through a full range of motion and you know, this, that, and the other. And he's like, okay, well, at least I'm get your in ass motion. off the couch and go. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's like, go, well, get your ass off the couch and go to the gym and do it, do it, just do it my way. Do it any old way. Just go to the gym, you know. And so, I you know I I like that. I I do like CT Fletcher. Um, he's he, one. He's funny, and two, like you know that dude is he is a he is a freak of nature. Which these guys put in the work, and I don't say they don't. I mean, I you know I, that's probably one of the reasons why I don't hop on the roid train because. I don't know what happens, Luke. If I take roids and don't do anything and continue my my same lifestyle, <laughs> do I just, does my fat happen. just become fatter? <laughs> you know, nothing. So nothing will I mean, happen. They, it's like you know, Josh. I mean, these guys are putting in the work hours and hours and hours oh, yeah. uh, in the gym, and, and you'd almost wish that it was more of an open discuss, you know, open topic, open discussion. Because 
I do believe just from what I've read, and, and it's funny because I even talked to my, to my son about this now because he's 20 and you know how it is at his age, he's starting to lift and work out and get in shape. And it's like, ah, you're good at your age. Just and I said, but I do, I think, think there's a conversation to when you get to our age uh, to where maybe a cycle here and there is, is probably beneficial. I think long-term is probably beneficial, right? Yeah, man. It's, it's, you know, the FDA has never come up with uh, the recommended levels of testosterone for different age groups, right? Uh, it's, it's doctors that do that. So, you know, you go to a doctor, so it's like, okay, an 18 year old will have this particular level, let's say 10, right? And a 21 year old will have a 12 because, you know, most of the time your testosterone hits its peak at about 12, uh, 21 years old. So a 30 year old will have like, I don't know, eight, we'll say a 40 year old will have six. And what a lot of doctors will tell you is, oh, well, that's normal for you. Now, those who are pro hormone replacement therapy will say, no, 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 no. The normal level is your 21 year old level. That's what we want to get you to, because that's when you're healthiest. That's when your body is repairing itself the fastest. And for men, uh, it's testosterone, period. Uh, growth hormone is so expensive and I don't, I don't, I don't want to mess with growth hormone. I, I never, I would never do that because I, I don't know how it works, you know, like, will your jaw grow and not your, you know, look, look at, look at Dana White, right? <laughs> look at Dana White and oh, look at Joe Rogan. Dude, Joe Rogan's skull has grown. His skull has grown. And I, I don't know if he does hormone or uh, growth hormone anymore, but he did for a while. And that Dana White too, good Lord, their skulls grew. So, but anyway, back to the, the hormone replacement testosterone. I mean, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, when done properly, I think it's, it's one of the healthier things that someone in their forties or fifties could do. Uh, it's not medical advice, but, uh, man, I just, you know, I, I've, of course I've done it in the past. It, it's not expensive. It's getting cheaper and cheaper. And man, when you're on it and you just get those, that testosterone level, you're not roided out. It's not like that, but I, when I'm on it, I sleep better. Uh, you go, just go to a doctor, take a blood test and, and they'll, they'll give it to you. But I sleep better. My mood is elevated. Uh, I don't get worn out at the end of the day. I just, it just, you can just go harder. I don't feel like I'm 21. I'll never feel like that again. But, uh, man, it's just, you eat. But better, at our age, you know. once you start it, you have to stay on it, right? I mean, or, well, or do they, can they on, cycle you off? Yeah, you, it depends on what, what you're on. If it's, if it's a low level, like a super low level, you don't necessarily have to cycle on and off. But if they give you some kind of treatment where you're taking one shot a week, a full CC or a CC and a half. I don't care what any doctor says in your intramuscular, you got to cycle on and off that. Otherwise you're going to have to go on a, a few other types of uh, like estrogen blockers uh, to keep, you know, to keep your body in line. But if you cycle off of it and then go back <laughs> on, it's, it's not, that's not ideal. The best thing is just a, a, a normal dosage every day, whether that's, you know, the subdermal, you know, pellets, uh, where it's just time release and it just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's more of a natural thing. You're not spiking your testosterone. You're just bringing it up to a certain level. But yeah, I, I mean, I know a lot of folks that are, that do it. Uh, a lot of guys don't want to say it, but it's like, come on, man, <laughs> you're, you're, you're 52 years old, you know, and it's, it's okay. You know, you don't have to be ashamed of it. You know, I think it's completely normal. I think insurance companies should get on that train too. Because uh, what what do they say? You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And if you can, you know, develop a, a healthy lifestyle in people and healthy hormone levels, they're not going to be as sick. 
you know? Now, if only some people would have pushed this out for like the last two and a half years, I mean, right. That was probably a prime opportunity to push that, that healthy lifestyle to, uh, you know, it's the preventive preventative measures you can take that, that, you know, Hey, at the end of the day, and even now they're talking about, uh, I think I published an article the other day or published, I tweeted an article the other day where they're saying, uh, COVID now is right there at the same level of the flu. It's actually less dangerous than the flu. Again, depending on who you are, this and that, but, uh, cardiovascular disease will remain the number one killer going forward, things like that. And there's just a lot of things that you can do uh, on your own. And that the administration, both administrations, I don't, I don't care who, both of them, either one, that was their chance. That was that significant emotional event Josh talks about a lot where, hey, guys and gals, like no poop. This is the time that we need to get in shape. You guys are at home. You need to get out there walking. You need to get out there running. You need to lift some weights, do some sit-ups, do some push-ups, whatever. I, I did have a question for Josh, I guess for both of you, but I'll start with Josh. So we talked about going overseas, downrange, Afghanistan, Iraq. And, and I think one of the things that those theaters taught me, because we, we were Garrison Army when we joined. We're, we're of the age where we joined into the Cold War, right? Uh, we had Haiti and Bosnia, but at the end of the day, they weren't really shooting Americans, and we weren't really shooting back unless we were responding to a specific incident or, or what have you. So I could tell you, our view of the threat, and you talk about going out there and doing dumb things, our view of the threat and risk changed. Our perspectives changed, and, and primarily through experience. So when you look at soldiers now, service members now, because now you're going to start seeing a lot of people without combat patches because Afghanistan's not there anymore. So where do you think this takes – where does the military go from here for the next 10 years, provided that we're not into another war in the last 24 months of uh, Sleepy Joe's administration – where does the military go from here and how do you maintain that level of experience that, or I guess knowledge that you only gain through experience? So it's a good question. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the quick shorter answer is, I don't know, uh, because not only, you know, not only do you not have, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan anymore, uh, you, you have Iraq in some limited, you know, very limited capacity, uh, you know, not, not nearly the numbers that we had, you know, back at the height of the Iraq war, obviously, um, you know, that's, that's only a, a, a small part of that problem. The other problem is that you have policies which are driving good folks out. Um, you know, so the Navy, uh, just came out and quietly reversed the vaccine mandate, uh, you know, for, for a number of their folks, you know, you, you had that big uproar, uh, you know, in the SEAL community about, you know, the vaccine mandate, um, you know, and I know, I know personally three SEALs who got out, they ETS out of the military rather than take the vaccine. Um, so when you think about how long it took one for that individual to join the military, right. You know, you, you're not coming in straight off the street as a seal, right? You think that person, you know, join, join the Navy, um, or the Marine Corps, not too many Marines actually make it through seal training for some reason. It's weird. Uh, but anyway, it's neither here nor there. So you take that person, they've got to be in, you know, they're, 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 pretty, they're in the Navy for at least a little while. Um, and then they go to buds, right? And, you know, once you make it through, you know, say you make it through buds your first time and then you get to a seal team, 
And, you know, now you're an actual, you know, now you, you're, you're a SEAL. You've got some experience as a SEAL. You're a seasoned member on that team. Now you're gone. You think about all the money that the military invested in that individual, you know, getting them to that point, just walked out the door. So not only are you, you know, do you not have your, you know, your forces, you know, your garrison army now, your garrison military, not only do you not have the amount of combat experience that you once had because those, you know, those wars are done and over, but now you're, you know, you're implementing these policies, which are forcing good people out the door. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, with, with the issue you brought up, I don't know how they maintain it. Um, I know what I would do to start maintaining it. I would get rid of those shitty policies uh, immediately that are forcing good folks out the door. I would get rid of the, the, the wokeness that's in the military. The Air Force is gone now going to, um, you know, genderless pronouns uh, to where, you know, you, you, you know, you can't refer, you, you have to use, you know, you can't use him, her, it's them, they, it's just, not, that's nonsense, right? There's a lot of good people and a lot of good people, they're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to do the quiet quitting. Um, and they're just going to, you know, they're not, they're not going to announce their departure. They're just going to go quietly, you know, into the night and they're going to be done. They're going to retire. They're going to ETS and, and, you know, you won't hear, hear from them again. But the, the first thing I would do was be reverse these policies, um, that are that are forcing good folks out and they're also keeping good people from joining right they're also keeping good folks you know from from joining the military and you know at a certain level um it, it was i i equate it back to is that sergeant major of the army sergeant major of the army preston probably one of the worst sergeant majors of the army in the history of the united states army you know when he came out with that dumbass tattoo policy you know to wear no sleeve tattoos you know you can't have tattoos below the elbow you know, you can't have, you know, it, it basically it was damn near you couldn't have any tattoos, right? And his his reasoning was, you know, he's he uh, said that when he goes and, you know, visits a unit and he goes and does, you know, physical training with them in the mornings, he's like, I feel like I'm running with biker gangs, you know? And now the Boy Scout was like, well, if I'm going to Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Syria, you know, pick your war zone, I'd rather go with a biker gang than the Boy Scouts, Give me the biker gang every day of the week and twice on Sunday. You know, it's just, it's, it's, the, it's that mentality um, that is now way more prevalent. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that, that's going to destroy the military. And Jesse Kelly says it all the time that I want to pose the same question to, to Luke as well. Um, you know, Jesse Kelly says it all the time. We're going to lose the next major war. We, I, I, we really are. Um, you have 70% of the American population who's not fit. For military service, uh, they're automatically disqualified. You know, based on low education. Uh, you know, they're overweight. They can't pass. You know, physical fitness tests um, and stuff. So we're 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 in a bad spot, and it's not getting better. And I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. Uh, but I would really like to get Luke's thoughts on this as well. Well, like you, I know a few. I, I know a few. They weren't seals. These guys were uh, Green Berets, and they one guy actually. Uh, got out at like 16 years because of the vaccination policy. Uh, he and some other stuff. He he just was not happy with the way things were going. It's like, man, are you sure? You? He's like, I'm I'm 100 sure. And and to be fair, he he was a National Guard. I think uh, he's either National Guard or Reserves. But uh, you know, he has another job, and he's you know he's okay with it. But he that's a guy who's who's standing by his principles to get out, not necessarily like old boy who shot Bin Laden in the face. What an idiot. Got out at like two years, with two years left and then wanted his retirement. It's like, bro, 
as 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 much as you, you know, I hate to tell you this. What's the guy's name? O'Neill. O'Neill. Yeah, it's like as much you know. Yeah, it's great you you killed Bin Laden, but that had, you know, despite what your SEAL teams have been saying all these years, SEAL Team Six, you are not special, my friend. Not yeah, at all. It was really dumb. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah. Are we going to lose the next war? You know, I, it depends on who's, who it's against, but we just lost a 20 year war. So, I mean, maybe, you know, Jesse Kelly could count that. <laughs> <Good point>. uh, <laughs> the woke stuff is crazy, but, you know, I'm in a unique position where I get to talk to some of the younger uh, soldiers out there, uh, in particular officers, which I find fascinating. Uh, I get to see, hear that first lieutenant's perspective, uh, and not just one, not just my daughter, but, but others as well. I get to hear their perspective. I mean, it really is fascinating. You know, the three of us uh, came from an NCO background, and um, but, but to 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 Roger's point and kind of to yours, Josh is they they understand they don't have combat patches, you know, and they that that bothers them because there's still people kicking around with them in, and they're going away fast. You know, I asked my daughter how many people in in your company have you know combat patches, like two, two in the entire company. And I was like, and what about the battalion? She's like, well, there's a handful because you've got, you know, your wow. senior, senior NCOs and your, uh, your, your o, o fives and a, a couple of fours, uh, smattered about, but you know, they all want to go to war. They think they want to go to war, uh, because you know, they want to earn we, we were the same way. It's like, oh man, freaking Bosnia. If I could just get to Bosnia, you know, people will look at me differently and I, I will have, uh, you know, earned my stripes, you know, I will have, I'll be the, the hard charging you know, hip deep and hand grenade pins guy. And then it was Kosovo and then it was Afghanistan, then Iraq and then back to Afghanistan. You know, you always want, you join the military for a re well, a, most people, I would say most people, hmm, maybe not. Roger would have a better perspective on this than me, but I, I tend to, <laughs> I tend to think that everyone else thinks like me, but you know, when I joined the army, I was like, man, I, I'm joining the army to go to war. I know we're not in one right now, now, Bill Clinton's the president and all that, but, you know, I was expecting it. I wanted it. And these kids are, are no different. I, I do believe, hope, uh, I hope, just based on, you know, what my daughter's told me and stuff like this, it's getting more NTC heavy, NTC, JRTC heavy. They're, they're getting more into the, you know, ground war, you know, force on force type fighting. Uh, they're getting away from the Afghanistan stuff uh, and, they're, they're getting back more on a footing of like the 1990 footing, you know, where they're ready to go into, you know, desert shield, desert storm. They're working on movement, logistics, you know, and just basic, you know, tactics. So they're, they're running them through that. I think it's, it's getting more on that footing. Uh, so in other words, you know, near peer competitors, uh, China, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I guess where do we go from here? Uh, where does the military go from here? I, I personally believe, hopefully, that they're getting more on a 1990s type footing. Uh, or, well, late 80s, early 90s. But back then, it had its problems too, right, Roger? Like 1989, 90, 88, 87, it was very hard to get people in. And I don't know about retention back then, but I do know that it was hard to recruit back then. And um, the way I understand it now is recruitment, especially retention, is is we're in crisis mode like like josh was saying uh does that mean you change the standards uh i don't know but we're gonna have to do something because 
I don't want to, it's hard to equate this to any time in history because again, we just lost a 20 year war. The Americans are tired. They don't have the stomach for it. You know, if we hadn't have been in Afghanistan, in fact, if we hadn't have pulled out of Afghanistan, you know, and left somebody there, here's the question to you, Roger, if we would have stayed in Afghanistan, and I'm not saying this, this would have been a good thing or a bad thing, but if we would have stayed there, kept Bagram airfield and just kind of, you know, went into our shell and not retreated like that. And the Russians still went into Ukraine. Do you think the American people's appetite for getting into another shooting war would be any different than it is now? Because I think the appetite is low. That would be the worst thing Joe Biden could do is send troops in there and, and any type of force on force to Ukraine because the American people are just tired. What do you think? That's a great question. And it's, I agree with you. And I don't know if you have the American population that's tired of it, but like Josh talked about the policies and, and we've had some disagreements here and there on, on a couple of them, but I think the bigger picture there is the greater population's view and perception of the military. And when you look at what a lot of the, and I'll say it, you know, it's a lot of the Democrats, a lot of the democratic leaders, cause we had a, we had a high time there in the military, especially after nine 11 recruiting was on the high retention was on the high. Everybody wanted to be in the, in the military. Uh, the floodgates were open, man. We were letting folks in. We could be picky, choosy, this and that. But then, you know, we go through this change and, and the military always changes, but generally speaking, it's at least through my experience, uh, it's always been a little bit more gradual as opposed to all of a sudden we went to this last two years where everything just went woke with the military. And then you've got General Milley, who that dude doesn't meet any standards I've ever dealt, <laughs> had to uphold. And then and, and some odd years that I was in and uh, their focus. And, and we're not talking about Desert Storm where you've got the military commander out there talking about this is what's going on. This is the objective we're achieving, yada, yada, yada. We're just talking about just day to day. It seems like the military was in the limelight for a, a good six months there. I mean, you've got General Milley there talking about, well, I want to know about white racism and white extremism. And I'm like, dude, this is like on national television. Maybe, OK, that, that, that's a conversation that you can have in the background with your leaders. But maybe that should not be the focal point of the U.S. military right now or ever, because our, our job is to win wars, deter wars. And if that fails, win. Right. That, that's the that's the, the overall mission of the military. So I think that the focus of the military and, and this is what's interesting when you talk about the younger generation is how do they see it? How do they see themselves? Uh, do they feel respected as opposed to because there was also a time period there, especially when you look at after post Vietnam and, and even with with our our year groups where uh, the the U.S. military wasn't so popular, where uh, I've seen parades down there where people are spitting in your face. And baby, I was in Monterey for a while and they had uh, a parade and people are spitting in your face, you know, calling you baby killer and this and that. So just kind of I think a lot of that is just due to the overall public opinion that's been shaped by the media. It's been shaped by the media. It's been shaped by the left. It's no different than the police officers are going through now. But going back to keeping a smile, and I think in a nutshell, that this is my problem. And I know there's a lot of other issues with Afghanistan, but the objective with Afghanistan was never clearly defined immediately after our actions post 9-11. Okay, you go out there, you want to kill the bad guys. That's great. Then you, you get to where, okay, we're going to help topple government. Okay, that's great. Uh, now we want to help install a new government. Okay, that's great. Now, then we got, you know, to, to where we're going to uh, help out the infrastructure here. We're going to rebuild the infrastructure. Well, there is no rebuilding because it was never there to begin with. You're, you're actually having to build the infrastructure because they never had any. 
And then I think, and, and this comes down to, to Josh's and I, you know, I think our later years, you got to a point where, okay, we've all, like nobody will say it, but we know that, uh, hey, um, infrastructure mission ain't happening. And we just, I, you know, I felt like, especially in the last five, six years, we just became stagnant. Like, okay, we're going out there and we're going to continue doing what we're doing. Of course, the policies are changing. The rules of engagement are changing. Now, we're becoming less and less aggressive, more and more passive. So then we're just kind of there. But there is no more mission. And I think that's where they, they failed ultimately in Afghanistan was, and, and you can take this back 10 years, is that should have changed. What's up, Luke? As, as, as Jesse would say, our listener Jesse, at some point, you got to build that well. Yeah. Nope. And, and I mean, you, you and you have to continue to reassess. Right. I mean, they should be some, you know, obviously you have longer term goals, but you have short term goals. And, you know, they're picking on they're beating up Blake Masters out here. And Josh has been famous for saying this for, for years. Blake Masters released a commercial like, hey, man, we need new chain of command because all of our generals out there, all they've done is lost wars, lose wars. And they're running a commercial. It's like, well, what part of that is actually not true? It's all true. And, and again, there's a bigger picture to it. I understand that. And at the end of the day, it's civilian run. So you take your orders. But that, that's the biggest piece that I have with Afghanistan is that there was just no updating and changing of the objective to where, hey, at the end of the day, not building their infrastructure, that doesn't have to be seen as a failure if that's never the mission to begin with. Because I tell you this, anybody who'd ever step foot over there knows that, hey, this is not going to get rebuilt. This is not going to get built. We're not talking about Europe. Okay, we're post World War II. There was already some infrastructure there, and you're helping them get back on their feet. And uh, same thing with Japan and this and that. It, it never existed over there. So to say, and, and the military, we're always the worst at building stuff. I mean, if I tell you, hey man, we're good at wrecking stuff. We're good at killing things. Uh, when it comes to building or rebuilding, that's that's Department of State mission, man. And if Department of State can't do that, then maybe we need to reevaluate just our our mission set as a, as a whole as far as the U.S. government. Going back to what you're saying with your daughter and them, I think that's actually pretty good because I think one of the the fallouts that you're seeing right now, and it's weird because it, it changes day to day with Russia and Ukraine, where they were like celebrating the other day, like, oh, Russia's being pushed back, Russia's being pushed back, and we told you stick by the Ukraine and this and that. And it's like, hey, go pull up a map and see what Russia controls right now. And who knows what their objective is, right? I mean, the, the Russians have their own objective and it is what it is. And, and maybe we find out, maybe we don't. But one of the things that I do think we see with the Russian army, regardless of how it turns out or whatever, it is a lot of that logistics. It's that movement. Uh, you do see a lot. It's Bush League. It, it's Bush League. And I think when you look at what our movement was, I mean, I can tell you just from my own school set, uh, what folks in my position, a generation before me versus what I learned in school as far as maneuverability, uh, that type of stuff it, it is night and day. Cause I really didn't learn a whole lot of stuff. It's like, Hey, you know, C 17, we'll be over in theater in 18 hours. Somebody's going to pick you up and we're going to rock and roll. And it's a lot different. So I do think, I do like to see the younger generation going back to some of the fundamentals of the military, uh, of the army. The problem is there's a fine line there and I'll kick it over to Josh there. You know, we tend to do things in extremes, right? So it's always extreme left, extreme, right. And I'm not sure, even though there's a place for some of this stuff because there was some good that, that came from it. I don't know. I hate to see us go back to a purely garrison army where it was just shine your boots, read your soldier study guide, go to your E5 board and, and boom, now you're Sergeant Major of the Army. I, I hate to see us go back to that. So I'm hoping that there's some middle ground there where, um, you know, from the sounds of, I was actually surprised Luke when you said that she had what two people in her company that had combat patches left. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I don't feel like we're that far removed from when Josh and I retired and, and left. Uh, that, that's that, that's hard for me to, to fathom. So I don't know, Josh, if you got anything else to say on that. Yeah, I got a couple of things. So it's, it, you know, it's it's not hard to fathom. It is and it's not, you know, because there at the end, you know, I mean, really the only people who were going to Northern Iraq and Syria, you know, was, was the, you know, really the SOCOM community. Um, and you had your, you know, you, you had your bolt-ons, uh, you know, support. We had, you know, Marine artillery and, you know, folks like that, but, you know, by and large, you know, the, the first infantry division wasn't, you know, pushing in and first cab wasn't coming in with tanks and, you know, helicopters and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, we weren't far removed, you know, from, you know, when we retired from the fight, but, you know, we were kind of in a, uh, just based on, you know, where we were at is, you know, it's, was not the norm. Um, but I do agree. It is good to see, you know, especially the, the younger generation get back to the CMTCs, um, because that's where you're going to learn the basics. That's where you're going to, you know, master the MDMP, the troop leading procedures. That's where, you know, and that, and that stuff is going to be very, very important when the balloon does go up and it will, you know, eventually that stuff does become very important. Um, and you know, I can't, but sound, sound like a damn sergeant major, uh, there for a second. Um, <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Josh, let me, this is important because we always fight. We always, once we end a war, we're stuck in the last war that we fought and, yeah. and we stay, that's mm-hmm. that way with the TTPs, equipment, uniforms, whatever. What do you think, especially we know what's going on with China. You can throw Russia in there. Uh, just the nature of warfare going forward over the next 10, 20 years, do you have any thoughts on what we should be focused on or the force as a whole? So I think the force as a whole needs to turn around and focus on, um, you know, a hybrid model. Uh, we, to, to think that, you know, to, to think that we're going to have another battle of Kursk, you know, where, you know, we've got hundreds of tanks on each side, you know, battling it out with each other and stuff. I don't think that's, I, I don't think that's, you know, that realistic. I think what you're going to see is kind of what, you know, kind of what you're seeing in Ukraine. Um, you know, you're going to have this, this hybrid style of warfare that, you know, there's going to be a little bit of conventional and a little bit of coin all mixed in, you know, together. Um, we're going to be dealing with proxies. Tell them what coin is. Counter is basically it's counterinsurgency, um, is is what coin stands for. Right. And so we're going to see this, this hybrid mix of, of conventional and, uh, and, and insurgency type warfare, um, in the places that, you know, we're going to, we're going to be in a fight because here's the deal. China could take Taiwan today. We are not going to war with China. We are not going to get in a force on force fight with China. One, the Biden administration is not going to do it. And anybody who thinks different is, I, I think you're nuts. Um, and you know, they're, there will be embargoes. There will be, you know, a lot of diplomatic, you know, measures taken. Um, the one thing we are not going to start launching rockets, um, you know, at, at, at China, we're just not going to do it. Um, I don't, I, I don't see that happening. So, the, you know, and the same with Russia, if we got into it with Russia, um, you know, it's going to be through a proxy, uh, you know, much like it was, you know, in the, with the, you know, then the Soviets in Afghanistan, um, you know, I can tell you right now, you know, we have, there are absolute U.S. forces on the ground in, in Ukraine that are advising the Ukrainians, you know, we're obviously supplying the Ukrainians. Hell, we just sent them another, you know, couple hundred million, um, you know, last week, you know, God, God knows why. Um, so, you know, that 
I, I think that is going to be the future of warfare. Um, I don't see, you know, these big force on force anymore. Um, so hopefully the, you know, the CMTCs are incorporating that, uh, you know, within there, um, because we're very good at the force on force piece. We're very good at the, you know, the land battle, um, are obviously, you know, we, we displayed that in desert storm, um, you know, with, with our technology, uh, we, we have, we really suck at insurgency. We really suck at coin. Um, you know, and you talk about the, you know, the, you know, just, we just lost a 20 year war. You think about it, all these commanders that are out there, the senior ones, the flag officers, you know, they, they, they spent the last 20 years losing two wars, you know, and writing books on leadership. Um, so if I could tell those junior officers, you know, uh, one thing would be don't look to your senior leaders right now for leadership because they're not it. Um, That's right up there with Stetler being fired and then being hired by Harvard to talk about journalism. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. It's absolutely, it's absolutely nuts. Um, but one of the main problems that we have, and you know, Eisenhower warned us about this. Eisenhower warned us about this. Our our, our military, our defense, uh, you know, industry is so tied in. It, it's you know within you know our economy. Um, you know, and, and Eisenhower warned us about this. And so, you know, for those young officers, the balloon is going to go up on your watch. Uh, I, I, I promise you that, uh, because there's a lot of money to be made in war. And I tell you right now, there are war hawks in DC that would love nothing more than to drag this country into another hot war. Uh, and they won't even think twice about it because they need their stocks to go up. Um, you know. So everybody does <laughs> right now. Yeah. I think all three of us like, yeah, we can have our stocks <laughs> go up a little bit. Dude, yeah. These kids were excited. Uh, when Ukraine kicked off they're, they're you know, calling me up, messaging me, Hey, what do you think the odds are that we're going to actually go to war? You know, and they were, and they, you know, they weren't scared of it. Uh, they were just kind of hoping that it would kick off because they, they don't care about foreign policy. Uh, they don't care about that stuff. You know, think back when we were 22, 24 years old, we didn't think like we do now. And, uh, but that was that was encouraging. And I, I think that this whole thing with Russia, you know, they've really exposed themselves as a third rate military with nuclear weapons. Uh, it's like Pennsylvania with nukes. It's like, man, you, you guys suck. You know, I worry about China and your Josh is Josh is right. It's it's going to be hybrid because I'm here to tell you now, if it's force on force, Navy on Navy, we would whip up on China. We would. But you, you inject that hybrid aspect into it, and boy, I don't know. You know, it's gonna get kind of gonna get kind of dicey for us because I'm sure the Chinese have a lot of tricks up their sleeve. You know, because uh, they don't want it. They know that if it's straight up force on force, uh, they're they're gonna get their clocks clean. I'm not saying we're gonna go and invade uh, Asia like the guy in the Princess Bride said, never get in a land war in Asia, and you know, never challenge a Sicilian to a contest of lying or whatever it was. Um, yeah, they, they know that. So they I'm sure they're working on a lot of stuff that uh, that we're absolutely not expecting or maybe we are. Uh, I just often wonder, you know, uh, China actually, you know, we could we could really go into this. You know, it's like China could invade Taiwan tomorrow and we probably wouldn't do anything significant about it. It's like that begs the question. So then why don't they just do it? Well, I, I you know. China is kind of hurting right now, their economy. We talked about this real early on, first 10 episodes or so that, you know, China is is going through, it's it's different than what we went through in the housing crisis, but they went and sunk just a ton of money into uh, construction all over the country. 
and no one is living in those buildings. No businesses are moving in. And, you know, they're kind of having to pay the piper right now. It's a little bit of a debt crisis, if you will. Their economy is a lot different than ours, uh, but they are going through a bit of a financial crisis right now. Centrally controlled economy, you can stave that off for a little while. But um, that may be one of the reasons they're like, you know what, uh, now's not the time. We can't afford whatever sanctions will come down at this time. And But I do believe they're biding their time. Uh, but like we've said, I, I think it's going to be a slow thing. And it'll just eventually, Taiwan will just kind of be absorbed into China. I could be wrong on that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a fun mental game. Uh, to, to think about, you know, what what would happen, what wouldn't happen. I want to uh, talk about this now since we're still kind of on the military thing instead of bringing it up at the end of the show. Uh, so my daughter, Amber, uh, made it through Sapper School, which is just insane. It's 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 such an accomplishment for her. Uh, her class started out with 60 folks. The attrition rate was 50 percent. So only 30 of those 60 made it through the class uh, and, and successfully graduated. Most of the 50% were recycled back uh, to the end of the first phase or something like that. But uh, yeah, thir- uh, 50%. And for the females, I think six started out and two made it. So you're absolutely right. If Mo can make it through, uh, so can Amber. <laughs> but yeah, she. It, it's amazing because, you know, she, she is not a uh, – she's very, very fit. Uh, did a three mile run in under 20, uh, it's right, like right at 20 minutes. That's pretty fast. She said, that's the fastest I've ever run three miles, which, which is impressive. So she's very fit, you know, uh, she's strong for her weight. Um, you know, and, and the army, I think we might've talked about this too. I forget what we talk about offline and what we talk about on the show, but the new army, uh, fitness program is making girls look like CrossFitters, man. And I have, I have witnessed my daughter's body change from like a runner, you know, a, a, a lean, sleek runner, uh, looking like a deer out there running to straight up CrossFitter. Like she's getting the muscles, you know, and all that stuff. So, but again, she's not, she's not big, you know, she's, she's, she's thin, not skinny, but she's got that muscle. And I was really worried about her, you know, going through being able to keep up with the strength aspect of it you know, the rucking aspect of it. And when they were out in the field is 90 pound rucks plus charges that she was carrying. I was like, are you like really 90 pound rucks? And she showed me this, you know, the sapper school thing on Facebook and no joke. I mean, those rucks look about 90 pounds. It's like, man, how far were you going in those? She's like, hey, you know, about two clicks at a time, you know, at a time, how many times a day? She's like, I don't know, six or eight. And I'm like, mother of God. It's like, <clears throat> you know, she's, I don't know, 120 pounds, maybe. Between one twenty, one thirty, and uh, it's like, man, how do they do it? You know, but I, I was worried about that aspect. But she made it through, and she really learned a lot from the peer process. You know, the peering, and uh, you know, she got a couple of poor peer reviews, and that was a real eye opener for her because it's not, you know, they called her, you know, they didn't call her names or anything. But it's like, hey, you know, she she does this, she does that, and she had never seen that before, you know, and it comes anonymously. So it's like now she had to self-examine why people were saying that because perception is reality. She doesn't feel that she's being that way. But um, that, that was a big part of it. You know, you learn a lot. It's a four-week leadership school. It's all there is to it, you know. And uh, it's, it's, it's fun listening to, listening to her talk about that. Now, 
she's all gung ho. And she's like, well, maybe what do you think about ranger school? I was like, why would you want to do that? My God, (laughs) why would you want to put yourself through that? Just enjoy, you know, your sapper tab for a little while and then reassess, but real proud of her for making it through. Uh, apparently it's, it's a lot tougher school than I thought initially just after hearing her say it, but, um, that's good on her for doing that. And it, you know, it's really changed my mind. I, I still hold a f- some of my core views about uh, females in combat. I still hold those views, but the reality is um, they're there now and they're going to be there. So we have to adapt and we have to just accept it. And we, there's no going back from this uh, for a while anyway. So I, I still hold the same core views of that, but um my perspective has changed a little bit witnessing, you know, uh, her experiences as a combat engineer. So, yeah, so the, uh, that's kind of off topic as far as China and where we go next, but there are still good soldiers out there. <laughs> there are still good officers out there. They're not all dirt bags. So uh, I'll tell you what, man, these guys, good Lord, Roger, the kids now are just enormous. They're enormous. Like they, they're milk. all, yeah, something. They're they're just big. <laughs> I swear. You know, we always say this, man. Kids weren't that big back in our day. But Josh, Roger, think about AIT. You know, we were all just skinny, runty kids. These kids now are just jacked, dude. And they're, if they're you big. have young kids and they are on non-GMO foods, you're doing them a disservice. I'm just letting you know that up front, and that is a reality of it. That is a fact. I was about to say. I mean, it's everything that they put in our foods, and it's not and. It's not. It's not necessarily a good thing either. I'm gonna tell you right now. It's not all. It's not all good. Um, you know, my wife points it out. We were we were in the grocery store uh, maybe a month ago or you know something like that, and we needed to go grab some chicken, dude. The the non organic chicken, like the organic chicken breasts, were normal size chicken breasts. The you know the regular chicken breasts that you you know the, the non organic. <laughs> Dude, it they were they were literally, I think one chicken breast was three pounds. <laughs> God, it was massive. It was massive. And you're looking at that, and you're like, bro, that's not natural. Like, there's it's not it's not natural. All the stuff that they're pumping into your food, it's not good for you. That's why you dude. And I think each generation is going to get bigger, right? You're looking at kids who are now bigger. Like, it's because they have eaten. That crap. That I think about that chicken. Food. I think about that chicken with walking around the 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 pen or whatever, looking like a porn star with three pound yeah. breasts. Yeah, walking around looking like Dolly Parton, you know, back in the eighties, man. It's like, dude. It's but like, what do you do if you have? Uh, what do you do if you have a son? Like, so, and, and I get it. I, I totally agree with you. But the reality, you know, the reality is, these kids in school they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It is different with having a son and a daughter. You know, I don't need my daughter to be 6'4 and weigh 225, but I don't want my boy to be 5'4 and weigh 115 either. So, I mean, do you just do a mixed bag of like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? We do, you know, hormone chicken. And- We're going down a, a, to- a different rabbit hole here, which I love it. I love it. I love this, this, this free form conversation. But like after everyone listens to this episode, uh, after, of course, while you're waiting for our next one to come out, the, Joe Rogan interviewed this guy, Max Lugavier, who's a big time, you know, he's really into diet and stuff like that. And it was just fascinating. They always talk about the GMOs and the processed foods. So it can go one way or the other. I talk about these enormous kids, right? Uh, in particular, this one I'm thinking about, um, dude, he, he, 
he's just built differently, right? The bigger bones, he's just bigger, right? And he lifts and all this stuff. He cares about what he looks like. But as we all know, when you get jacked and you stop working out, that's a problem. <laughs> I, you know, I know that it's physically whatever muscle doesn't literally turn into fat, but something happens where it, it goes from your chest down to your gut. It's like it falls. And yeah, they're getting bigger, but, and these are all kids that are working out and stuff. So the flip side of that coin is how many fat people there are, right? It's, it's just, and, and every, you know, Joe Rogan, all these people, they say the same thing. It's, it's the processed foods and the sedentary lifestyle, which is, we, we, we've beat that horse to death, but that Joe Rogan, uh, Max Lugavere, and I kind of cut Josh off. So kick, kick it back to you, Josh. It was, it was very fascinating on what Americans don't get enough of, uh, what they, sh- what the levels should be and what they actually are. And it's, it's kind of crazy. And what, you know, you, you get out of your body, what you put into it. And it, it's, I'm no health nut or anything like that, but I'm here to tell, I think the three of us would agree, especially Roger, that you change your diet and your body, you change your diet for the better. And the more disciplined you are, so on and so forth, the more you're going to feel it. I mean, in the past few months, I've changed my diet. I wouldn't say radically, but I've cut a few things out, man. I just feel a hundred, not a hundred percent better. I feel a lot better though, you know? Yeah. So there's a good book out there. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and it's by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. It's, um, it, you know, and it breaks down exactly what you're talking about, Luke, how different foods affect the human body, the human brain, you know, our, our actions, um, you know, how we feel, you know, and if you talk to, you know, like, so, you know, we had, we had the Satterleys on, and, uh, you know, one of the things that they talk about on a, you know, on a continuous basis is how your diet, you know, impacts, you know, traumatic brain injury, how it impacts post-traumatic stress, how it, you know, it, and it's, it's, it's so important, you know, to, to figure out what you're putting in your body. Now, don't get me wrong, man. I, I, I dude, I love to go to five guys and crushing burgers and fries. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll eat a bowl of, you know, <laughs> of fruity loops every now and then, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I really do try and watch what, you know, we buy at the grocery store as far as like meats go and stuff like that, because, you know, in, in produce, because really concerned, you know, not only what I'm, you know, what, what I'm eating, but I'm really concerned about what my kids, you know, are eating. And again, like, Hey, you know, once a month or so, you know, you, you want to go grab McDonald's, you know, on a Friday night, not a problem. Like that's fine. Right. Everything in moderation. Um, but you know, to just like, Hey man, let's go, you know, let's go scarf down a, you know, a three pound chicken breast, you know, five, four or five times a week. Like it's not like that. No. But would that that change if you had three sons? And I say that seriously because I know families that, that just do organic grain free, this and that. And there's a noticeable difference in their, their sons versus, and again, I don't know their family background. I just visually, right. So maybe some of it's just anecdotal or, or whatever, but there's a difference. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be any different. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my, you know, I wouldn't want my son, if I had a son, I wouldn't want, you know, him to, you know, to put, you know, all that GMO food in his body just so he can be bigger, stronger, faster, right? There's other ways to get bigger, stronger, faster, 
Um, you know, are you going to, are you going to get, are you going to get CT, you know, are you going to get CT or, uh, you know, <laughs> liver pig by eating, you know, or yeah, so no, but I mean, you know, once you, after you turn 18, like, you know, okay, if, that's, if you want to do that, go do that. But I, you, you know, you think about like, think about, you know, like Tom Brady, you know how strict his diet is. You think Tom Brady's putting a whole bunch of GM, that dude. you know, GMO food in his body? No, that dude's diet is so strict. Like that, that guy's probably never had sugar. Like he has probably never had sugar, you know. And if he if he has had it, I guarantee you, he hadn't had it in the last twenty years. You know, um, we should get we should get Jed on here to talk about GMO uh, stuff because what. Well, it, you know the the that saying GMO is is almost like a misnomer now. It's like saying fascist, you know, because <laughs> genetically modified, right? What does that What does that mean? Well, farmers have been doing that for a long time. How do you think we got so many dog breeds out here? You know, what, uh, an English bulldog versus a Doberman. You know, it, it wasn't scientific. They weren't taking genes out and splicing them and making a Doberman, you know, or making that first wolf that came in the cave into a into an English bulldog, obviously. But it's it's breeding, you know, and you can do that at the crop level. So, you know, gen- genetically modified, it's it's kind of yeah. I, I think, think we're using the wrong term. I mean, we we throw it out well, there to be the you know we're talking about hormones and this. And that. I think yeah, yeah. we're probably using the wrong term for it. So yeah, we, I, I agree. Jed. Totally. Who, who I was, was going to appoint as my secretary of agriculture uh, in our last episode. Uh, this is kind of what he does for a living. I think it'd be interesting to uh, get him on and, and talk about this a little bit, you know, but out here uh, where I live, there's, as I'm driving down uh, the interstate, there's a huge factory uh, just kind of out. And this is all farmland out here, like big cotton country up here, uh, cattle country, a little further North oil country South. There's this big factory and it's a bear factory like bear aspirin and like they have the logo and it like it, the logo looks like the old bear aspirins bear going down bear to the side the y is the meets in the middle and i was like bear i mean why is there an aspirin factory out here well what i didn't know guys is that bear bought monsanto i did you guys know that bear is now monsanto there there's really no monsanto that. yeah so that we've got a monsanto whatever right outside of of the city here i thought that was crazy i I wasn't aware of that i yeah i think it would be a good idea man and you know i think it would be fantastic to get jet on here you know and so he can talk about it because he you know obviously he'll know a lot more about it than us we're probably using the wrong terminology uh you know like you said you know roger said but I, I think it's really important. You know, people just need to figure out, people really need to do some due diligence and figure out where their food's coming from and what's in their food. Um, I'm going to text you guys an, an article. Maybe we throw it up on, uh, you know, maybe we throw it up in a blog or something. But there's a, uh, there was a, a, a pork um, farm, a pig farm here uh, in North Carolina that got caught uh, feeding pigs plastic. And so what it was, was, you know, you know, restaurants, grocery stores, all their leftovers and stuff, you know, a lot of uh, pig farmers, you know, around the country will go and they'll buy, you know, what's left over, what they can no longer sell because it's past, it's, you know, it's date that it can go on the shelf and stuff like that. And so they'll, you know, they use that as feed for their pigs, which is fine. Yeah, man, you want to go, you know, feed your pig some old Krispy Kreme donuts? That's fine. Like not a problem. Well, a whistleblower took video of inside this place and when the trucks were backing up 
you know, all this food to go into the grinder and on the other end of this grinder, it comes out, you know, as, as, as pig feed. So if you're, you know, if you're, your dozen donuts that, you know, Krispy Kreme throw it away is still in that cardboard box. Well, that goes into the grinder. They don't separate that stuff out. If you're, you know, if your bagels from the grocery store are in that plastic container or that plastic bag, like it does, it didn't get sorted out that went into the grinder and then it went straight to the, to the pigs and the pigs ate it. And then the pigs get, you know, slaughtered. And yeah, that's, that's, that's your sausage and bacon and pork belly. And I love all those things. Right. I love me, dude. Just side note, if you have pork belly <laughs> and a fried green tomato sandwich. Oh my Lord. Anyway. Right. So <laughs> you don't know it, but you're literally eating plastic. You are consuming plastic because the, you know, it, it's just, people really need to dig, dig in to where their food's coming from and what's being put in it and, and what's going on. Um, I tell you what, we'll never, but we will never buy pork from a grocery store ever again. Um, oh, what about the bacon, man? Like when I'm, when I'm eating bacon, it's like, I'm not doing it for my health. It's like, if I, if I light no. up a stogie, you know, or, you know, smoke a cigarette, it's like, yeah, I know the risks. That's kind of how I feel eating bacon. I, I eat bacon and sausage. It's about the only, and pork rinds. I like me some pork rinds, but pork rinds are good. But there, dude, there's a definite difference. So I'm, I'm going to ask you where you get your bacon if it's not from the grocery store. But man, like over in Europe, uh, specifically Slovenia, the pork over there, none of it, well, hardly any of it, especially if it's local, is that those are free range hogs. They're not, they don't even look like pigs. And boy, they don't taste like pigs. <laughs> they don't taste like the pigs we eat. It tastes a lot different. I would say uh, with the American palate, tasting that pork over there it's like ooh, i don't like this but dude guess what that's how it's supposed to taste so probably gamier that's what it's I normally so gamey like, yeah yeah no it's, oh, it's so it, it would be the equivalent it would be the equivalent to a wild hog here did you know, you know okay did y'all know this about pigs right if you take one of these pigs that's in these uh pig farms you know and pig farms for the most part now are completely covered they're not they're not open and uh but if you take one of those pigs that's, you know, four or five days from going to the slaughterhouse. You take that pig out, you put him out free range with no fences or, you know, on 20 acres, you say. That pig will physically start to change. It will, it's, it'll physically, the snout will start getting longer. Uh, the legs get longer. It's weird, man, because they, they turn into wild hogs, like physically. Did you guys know that? I just learned that yeah. like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, well, Josh knew. <laughs> well, no, and the only reason. So here's the deal. The only reason I, the only reason I know that is because they had. It was like a big breakout. It was like that uh, that movie Chicken Run, where all the chickens break out of the, uh, you know, and so they had a back in North Florida, and this was, dude, this was when I would do. I was still a kid. Um, they had this big breakout. You know, tree fell, hit the fence. You know, all the something. These pigs got out, and they went into the swamps. And, you know, they found them, you know, like a year later, you know, hunters and stuff like that. They had noticed that they weren't, they didn't look like your typical wild boars, you know, your wild hogs. Um, and so they did, you know, they said the talk in, it was on the news and everybody figured it out. It was like, those were all, there was a bunch of the pigs that got out of this pig farm. And they, they had physical changes, you know, from, from not being in that farm anymore. And, you know, but you take it, take salmon, Right. You can tell the difference between wild salmon and salmon you buy in the store. Salmon you buy in the store, it's got that nice, you know, pinkish red color to it. Guess what? That's not natural. That's not natural. If you go and catch a salmon in the wild, 
it's not that color. And so, you know, to answer your question, Luke, you know, bacon, it's from a local farm now. It's from a local farm who, you know what, they're like, hey, you can come anytime. You can see our operation. You can see what we feed our, you know, you know, not only our pigs, but our, you know, our, our cows um, and our cattle. And then, you know, tell us what cuts of meat you want. Dude, um, do they do they slice so. it for you? Because <laughs> in, in, again, in Slovenia, they uh, they don't slice the bacon, right? It's it just comes in a slab. So you get a slab bacon, it, yeah. Yes, and so one, I got I got a little uh, I got a little frisky during during uh, COVID uh, during the lockdown. The only places that were open were the grocery stores and the gas stations. And uh, my wife was was back in the U.S. I got a little frisky and just threw that whole thing in a pan and just and I had myself a bacon steak. So, so <laughs> it's pretty good, man. It's like eating a steak, bacon steak is awesome. So, but it tasted different. It's still good. So Josh, do they slice it for you? You can get it either way. Um, but if you get it sliced, it's a, it's the thick, you know, it's the thick style, uh, cut. Um, you know, you're not getting the, you know, the thin Oscar Meyer, you know, cut there at the, uh, at the farm, but yeah, that's <laughs> fine. You know, um, the thick cuts better for, uh, for BLTs anyway. So the good news, Roger, is that those migrants that were dropped off at Martha's Vineyard, they probably, because, you know, the Martha's Vineyard people, they eat clean. You know, they have uh, Ida Garden or whatever her name is. The Barefoot Contessa was probably cooking for them. And, you know, she really likes to eat those whole foods with uh, with no GMOs. So, I mean, that, I guess that's a good part of dropping them off in Martha's Vineyard. It's probably the healthiest thing we could have done for them is drop them off in a community that that eats healthy, right? Dude, so it took us an hour to get into this thing. We've been chatting about it all week. Abbott and DeSantis are in this game of like one-upsmanship now, and I love it. I love it. And and it's – you can read all – one, it just shows you the hypocrisy, and it's the hypocrisy of the left and the right, both of them. I don't care what party you're in, but right now it's focused on the left. They're not creating a problem. And, and we were we were in a FaceTime the other day with Luke and, and Josh, all three of us talking about this you're bringing light to what the problem is because you know, you talk about Holocaust deniers. Dude, I get on Twitter. There's still people like the fake border crisis. I'm like fake border crisis. I mean, come down here to, we're not even talking, let's not even talk about the humanitarian piece. Let's talk about just the fentanyl piece. I mean, we're having a huge problem with that. And Arizona's like, where do you think this stuff's coming from? Like, well, China. Okay. So do you think Chinese are smuggling this over? No. How do you think it's actually entering the country? There are a lot of people there that live in that upper Northeast live in that upper Midwest fake border crisis. You just need this for the election. It's a, it's a MAGA crisis. That's what they're calling it. And it's like, Hey, look at what happened with Martha's vineyard. And <laughs> dude, you can't, I love the tweets because you can, we all sit there and Josh is really, really good at it. You, you sit there, you see the tweet, you're like, yep, this one ain't going to age well. Right. Because what happened as soon as they came into Martha's vineyard, they're like, Oh, we accept you with open arms and we embrace you. And then it wasn't even like 30 seconds where you got the one lady that went viral. Like, we can't have all these people here. We don't have enough homes for us, you know, much less a bunch of illegals coming in from Venezuela. And then it was like two hours later, the military is putting them on buses uh, to take them to a, to a military camp or military base. Uh, you can't make this stuff up. And these people come out here and it's the hypocrisy. They're talking about, well, we're going to charge him DeSantis with kidnapping and uh, Abbott dropping people off at uh, <laughs> at the Naval Observatory next to Kamala Harris's house. You know, we're going to charge him with kidnapping and smuggling. So are, are you going to charge the the Democrat mayor of El Paso as well? Because he shipped out like what? It was either two or 20. I think it might, it might actually be 20. Uh, but he shipped out several thousand folks and he's been doing it. He's like, what do you what do you think we do with these folks? 
that here, here's what it comes down to. It's not a crisis because they don't see it. It's not in their backyard, so they don't care. Okay, it's fine to leave them in my backyard. Uh, you live in Texas. You live out here where myself and, and, and Luke are. You know, that's where they want them to stay, which they think they're staying there, which they're not. Luke's been pretty pretty good about educating folks on that. It's like, hey, this is not what they're saying. Now, we have a large population here, obviously, that stay because of the support in the Hispanic community have. But we also have a very large population that that is trying to get to New York. They're trying to get to Miami. They're trying to get to D.C. They're trying to get to Chicago. And, and when you saw the migrants, even at Martha's Vineyard, it's like you said, it's like, hey, we're just getting them closer to where they wanted to go anyway. And they were happy. They were like, hey, thanks for the ride. Appreciate it. Because that's what they're trying to get to anyway. But they're fine. These migrant, the, the, these, these cities, these sanctuary cities, that's the hypocrisy, right? That's what we're talking about here. It's, it's, the, it's the, oh, you need to accept everybody with open arms. We're sanctuary cities. Yeah, because they want to talk about onesies and twosies and threesies. You know, let's let's talk about places in Texas where the the one city where they're like, oh, by the way, the population was Eagle Pass, right? The population of Eagle Pass is thirty six thousand people. You know how many illegal immigrants have come across so far this year? Forty six thousand people. Literally more people than reside in that city. And Martha's Vineyard is bitching about fifty people, or the D.C. mayor bitching about a thousand people, or Chicago, right? Which they're shipping them off to the suburbs. They're shipping them off to red suburbs uh, throughout the state of Illinois. They're not staying right there in downtown Chicago, but because you have a thousand people there at, at one time, it's, oh, now we have a crisis. No, we've always had a crisis and, and it leads to a bigger problem that we need to work on solving. And I hate to tell you this, you know, granted, you have to take a holistic approach, uh, approach to it, but the first part of this is securing the border. It just goes back to KJP. They're not literally walking across the border. Yeah, yeah, they, they actually are walking across the border. And what the one guy, <laughs> I think it was on MSNBC, uh, where he's like, you know, and Fox in an interview with, with, with another guy, they're like, yeah, borders open. He's like, why do you think we come across? And we come across for free and we come across illegally because it's open. And, and so now I get to a point where I don't even know. And we talked about this a little bit last episode. Like, are they truly oblivious to what's going on? Which I, I don't believe that you, you can't be that oblivious to it or it's just straight gaslighting. It's just straight light. You know, we're just, we're at, we're at to the point where we just straight lie to you and at the same time because you've got that then you've got the celebration of our uh you know economic successes successes right the same day that that you know inflation comes out again at like 8.3 percent oh by the way the same time that you know the department of defense is starting to advise soldiers and service members to go on food stamps to make up the difference that's good now i have obviously had my own issues with you know we all three have with veterans and soldiers and service members and what they get what they don't get this and that no service member should have to go on food stamps to make up the difference for inflation period uh, i think when you look at their ultimate and i think we're all three on agreement with that but but it just pisses me off because when you see the hypocrisy of the left and none of this is solving any of the problems you know i mean what DeSantis and abbott are doing are just highlighting it which i think is good it puts it on a national stage now it's a problem but there's nothing that the administration is doing that's going to fix any of this stuff. They're not doing, I mean, from what I, and Luke, I mean, I'll throw it over to Josh first, and, and I'm sure Luke can, can get into more details. But from what I'm seeing and what I'm reading, there's nothing proactive being done. You know, they're finally starting to say, well, maybe we should start having talks with Venezuela and, and you know, Honduras and, 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 and Mexico. You mean like Trump did when he had the, uh, the agreement with Guatemala and the, and the other two countries? Yeah. It's like now you start to do this? Because they don't believe it's a problem. It, it, it actually just pisses me off. So I'll, I'll throw it over to Josh and get his, his thoughts. Yeah, so to answer, your, to answer your question, it's just straight gaslighting at this point because there's no way in 
there is absolutely no way that the the administration does not see the one the numbers, you know, that are coming across the border, and and, and number two, there's no way that they don't know that this is an issue. There, there's no way it's straight gaslighting at this point. They know it's an issue, and quite frankly, it's not that they that they don't care. They want this. This is intentional. Right. This is intentional because, you know, they they are still going on where, you know, this is the you know, this is the the third administration, you know, the you know, the second Barack administration, you know, where he is, you know, quote, fundamentally transformed the United States. Um, Do you think they turning to vote to Democrat voters, though, because they're betting on that. They're betting that a lot of these illegals, which when you look at their you know religious backgrounds and this is like, hey, I don't know that they're playing their cards right. But Dems are betting that that because they let them come across, they turn into Democrat votes. Yeah, I I don't think they're playing. I think that I think maybe they think that, but they're, they're definitely not playing their cards right because, you know, and we talked about this before, you know, the vast majority of, you know, your, your Hispanic voters, especially coming, especially coming out of, you know, central South America, they're all, you know, Catholic. Um, they don't buy into, you know, this nonsense, you know, this, you know, them, they, you know, no pronoun, you know, no gender pronoun. They don't buy into that by and large. Um, you know, a lot of them, like I said, a lot of them are Roman Catholic, like they just don't, that's, and that's not the, you know, that's not the Democrat voter base. Um, so I think they're misplaying uh, the, their hand a little bit on that. I think it's, I, I, I really don't think I, you know, uh, that the Fox news media talking points are, uh, what do they say? Fundamentally changing and, uh, getting all Democrat votes. I think it's a li- if there is a plan, if this is intentional, which I'm on the fence on that one, I, I hear you, Josh, but it's just like, you know, I, 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 I waffle between you and Roger with Roger chalks it up to just incompetence and just, you know, just being stupid. And Josh is like, it's intentional. I am right on the fence with that because I don't think these people are smart enough to uh, calculate uh, second and third order effects of something this massive. So the votes piece of it, you're hundred percent, right. A lot of the people coming across uh, have the traditional Catholic family values, right? Which is definitely not in line with the Democrat party right now, but it will translate into votes because as Roger said, these people are, uh, wanting to go to Chicago, New York, New Jersey, Virginia, uh, smattering to Florida, uh, so on and so forth. And I, I, I'm going to kick it back to you, Josh, because I have way more to say on this. But if they are playing the long game, they're playing the long game, uh, the census long game, to where it's like if, you, if we significantly boost these areas that are already blue, uh, you know, we're going to get more representatives out of the super, super blue areas. Um, it's, it's a census game. I think, I, I think that they're ha- kind of betting on, well, we'll get more Democrat voters cause more people will be on the dole and we're all for that. But, um, I think it's a district game. Um, that's, that's the way I would look at it. Let's, let's pack these places. Let's get the population up and we can turn, you know, Texas, we can truly turn it blue, uh, because it will just, there'll just be more people, you know, because the yep. census is based on everyone, not just citizens. Yeah, no, 100%. And so I, I do agree that it is the long game. Um, you know, I mean, you take a look at the long game that they played to, you know, finally get into, you know, the schools, the colleges, you know, to, to educate kids. You, you know, the long game that they took, you know, in the, in the media. Um, it's a very... You know, we talk about the GOP and how inept they are at anticipating things and, you know, basically, you know, 
being on on time and on message um you know the the democrats don't have that problem because they do play the long game they're basically they're like china they're like hey you know what we may not I, you know this might not be for 10 years but in 10 years we are going to have this thing locked down um you know and then they they play that game and they do um so it, i'm all right you know it's the the hypocrisy is a thing for me and at, at, at this point i don't even you know, hypocrisy may not even be the right term for it because it's they don't the left doesn't view it as hypocrisy because they don't acknowledge it. And if you just don't acknowledge it, then you know it does no good to you know be like, well, you're being a hypocrite right now. Well, okay, well, they don't care. Um, you know, because in 2017, Maria Bowser, you know, from DC, she tweeted, "quote DC values our dreamers and our immigrant communities. All will continue to find sanctuary in our city." You know. And then on September 16th this year, she, she tweeted, we're not a border town. We don't have an infrastructure to handle this type of a level of immigration to our city. We're not Texas. Right. So we went for being a sanctuary city. <laughs> we went for being a sanctuary city, you know, since you're tired, you're poor, you're huddled masses to there's no vacancy. Um, you know, and it, it drives it. The, the thing that I love the most about Martha's Vineyard was you have one, the most racist people on the planet, white leftists. They are the most racist people on the planet ever. Um, you know, they, you know, they put up their little signs, you know, around Martha's Vineyard, like all are welcome here. This is a safe haven, you know, a sanctuary city, you know, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Some brown people showed up in their neighborhood and they lost their shit. <laughs> and in less than 48 hours, they had the military in there to remove every single one of them. And Martha's Vineyard, one, it's one of the richest zip codes in the United States. It's one of the whitest. Or we're talking like milk toast white, right? You put a little, you sprinkle a little bit of diversity in there in the form of 50 people and they lost it. And they were like, oh, we don't have room. You know, like that lady was like, we don't have room for this. Well, Airbnb says different because right now, According to Airbnb, you have almost a thousand beds available in Martha's Vineyard. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and oh, Barack Obama put six hundred people in a tent on his lawn in Martha's Vineyard. You don't have room for fifty? That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. And you know, and, and Justin, I, I was I was posting a lot about it on uh, on my personal. Uh, you know, book a book of faces page. And, uh, you know, Justin had a, you know, Justin had a great point, you know, it's like, Hey, you want to stand up there and you want to espouse, you know, your, your worldviews your you know, your ideologies and your politics. Well, then you should be required to live by those. And that's what happened in Martha's Vineyard for, you know, about 48 hours before, before they got the military in there to, uh, you know, deport all the Brown people out of their, out of their neighborhood. Um, and, and the last thing on it is they, they started to go fund me to help out with quote, you know, they, they declared a humanitarian crisis for 50 people. Now this is a place that gets upwards of a hundred thousand visitors every summer. Right. So 50 people show up unannounced and all of a sudden it's a humanitarian crisis. They started to go fund me, which raised, you know, a little over forty two thousand dollars. Well, guess what? Guess how they set that up? They set it up to assist in current and future instances, you know, to take care of, you know, illegal aliens that that, that may wind up there. So 
The 50 folks from Venezuela, they don't see a dime of that money. They don't get a dime. Martha's Vineyard basically set up an endowment fund, um, you know, that they get to keep. And idiots donated to it. It is absolutely insane. Um, I, I, I hope. I hope Beverly Hills, I hope Nantucket, I hope Martha's Vineyard's, you know, still on that list. And I hope I would pick if I was Abbott and um, DeSantis, I'll say this, I'll kick it over to Luke. Um, If I was them, I would send every illegal alien that I could possibly send to the 10 wealthiest zip codes in the United States. And I would keep sending them. They did leave one illegal, but he had a fake birth certificate from Hawaii. Just saying. So, yeah, I, yeah. It, before insane. before I get started on this, I'll because I'll, I hopefully I won't be all over the place. I do have a lot to to say about it. But first off, I am a hundred percent in favor of immigration, hundred percent. But it, it 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 has to be controlled. There has to be a a a, po- a good policy in effect. Uh, obviously, the policy now is 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 a wreck, which I'll talk about in a second. But even the policy that's in place, let's say we, we build a wall, right, a 50-foot high wall um, that no one can get through, no one can get across. And we go back to how we handled immigration in 1994 or, or earlier, 1988. It still needs to be an improvement because, dude, I'm in, I'm in favor of immigration I, and controlled. And it's just not controlled right now. But you look at the birth rate in the U.S. is is plummeting. We're not able to keep up our population the way uh, a superpower should be able to keep up its population. Uh, there's there's shortages of all sorts of labor. Go to a restaurant in Nashville, right, Roger, and try to find some servers. It's just it, 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 we're the we we need immigration. We need it, and it needs to be better than you know a Colombian citizen stands in line for six hours just to get a, at the U S embassy in Bogota, just to get a form to fill out. They've got to bring the form back, uh, the, the next week, stand in line to see if the form can be accepted. No, there has to be, it, it, it's, it's too long of a process for people that we actually need here. It's too long of a process to streamline it, control it, uh, and, you know, screen these people. These, these are the types of people we want here. These are the types of people we don't. This person can be a good American. This person is going to be able to assimilate into society and enrich our society uh, with their skills and the, the, this and that. So I'm 100% in favor of immigration. But, <laughs> again, controlled. It has to be controlled and not controlled chaos. Right now I describe what's going on at the border as controlled chaos. It is absolutely insane. And it stems from a simple, the, the, the problem is it's a, it's a policy problem. The only way to deport someone right now who crosses the border is if they're an active commission of a felony to include uh, if they've been deported before and they're trying to cross. Okay. So th- those people can be deported. Uh, number two, if they're in the river or whatever, if you catch them before they've actually crossed into uh, the U.S., you can turn them around to go back. (laughs) And number three, if it's that Title 42 that everyone's talking about, if there is a significant threat to public safety or health. So that's the only, that's, those are the only three things that can, that are deportable. So there's two types of people crossing the border. 
Okay. And this is, this is important. Everybody needs to listen to this because I think that it's, this is what the big misunderstanding with what's going on at the border. They're the people who have been deported before or are criminals who are sneaking across into the interior. They're sneaking across. Those are the true, as we say, the true illegals. If those people are caught, you know, they will be sent back because they've been deported before or, you know, they're, they're felons back in their, their country or here. Then there's the massive portion of people. That's one type. The other type is people who cross the border they turn left or right and walk until they find a border patrol agent and they claim asylum. And those people are then given an, uh, a court hearing uh, for an asylum hearing date, and they're told to come back and appear in court. And then they're released. So that whole process, I don't know, none of this is a secret, can take you know up to 10 days for the whole thing, and then they're released. Now, here's, the, here's another important part. They have a plan. They have a point of contact here in the United States somewhere. And as we said, those points of contact are generally in New York, New Jersey, Chicago, uh, Ohio, uh, major population centers where there already are a ton of Venezuelans or Somalis or whatever. So what's going on down to border is they're given a, a court date to appear, could be anywhere from six months to years down the road, and then... They're shipped off to where they want to go. They're being shipped off to where they want to go. End of quote. Repeat the line. This has been going on for a long time. Okay. And this is the problem I have. You know, I was like, I, I was saying to the guys, I was like, this is dumb optics. And they're like, it's not dumb because it's shedding light on, on the problem. I agree with that. The reason I said it's dumb optics is because this has been going on forever. You're just now realizing this is going on, Muriel Bowser. You're just now going on, uh, uh, realizing this is going on, uh, Lori Lightfoot. Everyone, th th this has been happening. They have been showing up now because of the optics of it. Now you realize, yeah. It, overall, it's a good thing, but man, it's the egg has already been cracked on this thing. It's already we're, we're, we've already made an omelet. This has been going on for a while, and that's the thing. It's. Uh, there needs to be some enterprising reporters out there that do Freedom of Information Act requests to the, to, this, to the Border Patrol and ICE. Let's request all the manifests. Going back for a year, every single person is manifested onto a bus on where they're going. And, two, and again, you're moving two million people. There will be mistakes, I'm sure. You know, this, this Venezuelan might want to go to Chicago and he's bused to New York, you know, because of a simple misunderstanding. We've all seen that, like when you get left on objective in Iraq, right, Josh? But for in 99% of the cases, these people are being bussed or flown where they want to go. And it's like, why is the media not covering this? Where, where's the context to all this? Because Joe Sixpack out there thinks that all these people being bussed, bussed to Martha's Vineyard or to Kamala Harris's house, Joe Sixpack thinks that that person crossed the border. Uh, he doesn't understand the asylum process, Right. That he just he thinks of the of the border jumpers. They're just running as fast as they can into the U.S. and they're rounded up uh, by border patrol in San Antonio. Most of these people aren't like that. They've claimed asylum, and I hate to tell people this, but man, some of these a lot of these folks have legitimate asylum claims, legitimate asylum claims, and a lot of these people, uh, whether people want to admit it or not, they're they're going to be good U.S. citizens. They're going to contribute. 
Yeah, I, I know it's F them, but dude, do you have any Irish blood in you at all? He's typing it out. I guarantee <laughs> yeah. he does, dude. Ellis Island, man, come on. This this country, it, fundamental change. Fundamental change was was the Irish and the Great Famine here, coming over. Italians, dude. I, look, but it has to be controlled, right? Here, but even here, back here, then, it wasn't controlled. Here's but my still, issue with the asylum claims. Is my issue with the asylum claims, and, and you, you know, you you can speak to this a lot more than than I can. Is you don't get to travel to here from Honduras. And then say, I'm claiming asylum here when you transited multiple other countries that you could have stopped and claimed asylum in. Like that, like that, that's what pisses me off. Yeah. What about, what about, um, what about an Afghan? Okay. You, you have an Afghan that didn't make it onto the plane. Right. And this is just, I, I'm not trying to catch you anything. I honestly want to know your opinion. They didn't make it out of the plane the, the few days those planes are flying out and they've managed to sneak out. They managed to get away from the Taliban. They managed to get all the way to the U.S. border. And what about that person? I mean, I, I personally tell you my opinion. I'll get yours. My opinion is we owe that Afghan. We do. We owe them. Now, they need to be properly screened and vetted so we know who, who they are, who they say they are. But some dude that worked, as, worked for, as a translator for 10 years and we just left them there, we owe that person a debt. That's a hundred percent. A hundred percent. But that is that is apples and oranges to you know your average person coming out of Guatemala. I understand. I, I, I agree with you. Venezuela. Like that's. Not I agree even, with it's you. Unfair, well, I don't even, it's not even a. It's not even a comparable comparison. I mean, well, but you 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 acknowledge there are exceptions to that. Sure, there's exceptions to everything, and I and, and I totally get that. What I don't like is that you know folks come and say, well. El Salvador is really dangerous and I'm here to claim asylum. It's like, okay, no, I'm sorry, but you don't get to do that. We take in almost a million legal immigrants every year. The most out of any country in the world, the most out of any country in the world, by far, it's not even, it's not even remotely close to the, to the number two spot. So when it comes to folks like, you know, Hey, I get that, you know, El Salvador is shitty. I get that Honduras is, you know, one of the most dangerous countries in the world. I get that. I'm sorry for, you know, I feel bad for you. I do. But, you know, you don't get to cut the line out of folks who came here legally. And I agree with you. The the immigration system is completely 100% broken, uh, mainly because it's run by the United States government, right? It, you know. And so we should absolutely fix that because nobody should have to go through the process like you described at the beginning just to, you know, to come here legally. Like, that's bullshit. I, uh, I, 100%. So we agree. We agree on yeah. that. I, I just I, I do think that there are people coming over, even from Honduras, that we want here. They're simply using a loophole that they know they can use. But, it, dude, I, we agree. OK, the vast majority are taking advantage of the current policy and claiming asylum when they don't have, they either don't have a legitimate claim or they truly, they're taking the best option. If they fly, if they cross the border into Mexico, boom, if you truly, you, you're claiming asylum there, but Mexico has a different policy than us. So, so Roger, 2 million people in a year, that's not including the Godaways. Okay. Uh, Godaways are, I, I would have no idea what that number is. Uh, the Godaways are the people I was describing that sneak in and we just never see them again. Um, true, true illegals, if you will. They're not even making an asylum claim. So let's just say two and a half million people minimum 
have come in in the past year. That's just the past year. How does this long-term affect this, this mass migration? Long-term, how does, what are the effects to the U.S. national security, including the economy? Like, where do you see this going? Because, bro, we live with this now. This, it, we live with this. Because all these people get asylum claims, two and a half million. Oh, we'll say two million uh, are going to have to have an asylum hearing. Do the math on how many courts and judges there are, and then tell me how long that's going to take. So, dude, we live with this. There's no going back. We shut down the border tomorrow. We still have the people that have come in this year and the year before that and the year before that. So this is an issue. So what are the long-term effects uh, on national security and the economy? Well, I mean, it's, you, I don't even think you're seeing long-term effects on national security. There's going to be short-term, near-term, now-term, whether we see them or not. I mean, it's happening, right? Malicious actors are coming across the border. That That's the reality of it. And take apart, not even talk about the intel side of it, just when you look at the, like we're talking about the drug crisis and fentanyl, that's happening right now. When you look at, here, here's what kills me with the border. And both of you guys are right, you hit it spot on. I have complete sympathy for the illegal immigrants that come across, and I do not blame them. Because I think it's what you're saying. They may have legitimate asylum claims and this and that. Dude, they're taking the, the path, path of least resistance. They know this works. They can get across. It's easy, right? It's the easy button. And I don't blame them for trying to come across. If I was one of them, I would come across. You would throw me back across the border, and I would come across again. And I would come across again. And I would, I would keep coming across until I, I can finally stay here somewhere. I, I think this, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but a large part of this, and you touched on it with the, with the labor force. It's like, man, look, lock the border down, expedite the process to come in, cut socials, cut tax ID numbers. Because I think, I, I truly believe, and there's more to it, but I truly believe that, hey, look, you're going to come in a line and you're not going to be here for four years. Okay. You're going to be here for a couple weeks, whatever. We're going to run a background check on you for the best that we can, which we know how that turns out if you're from Honduras. Uh, we're going to run a background check on you the best that we can. You know what? Let's let's fingerprint you because we got all these bats databases out there everywhere that we're no longer using, right? So we can plug you right in there. Let's give you a tax ID number and say, hey, look, you can't vote. You're not an American citizen. Uh, maybe you go down a path to where, like, you know, it had been brought before, maybe 10 years of that or something like that. You can expedite it, you know, I don't know if you call it expedited, but, you know, American citizen process. But, hey, you come in, we give you a tax ID number. You can work and stay in the country. Okay, you don't have any benefits of, of a U.S. citizen other than being able to work here. But, one, it'll allow us to track them. Just And I, I shouldn't say track, but just know, like, hey, the sheer volume that, that we're dealing with here, it's going to support our labor force. And then you don't have so many people trying to bring, you know, 19 kids in their back across the Rio Grande. I mean, if you have some type of order, like you're saying, and it's expedited and it works, people will use that method because nobody wants to live here illegally. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's what the 87,000 new IRS agents are for. Jesus. I, I haven't even got to that yet. I got to make my little, cause I've got something about the IRS agents. This pisses me off. But that to me, that is one of the biggest solutions that you can have or best solutions is like, Hey, just allow them to work. Cause what's going to ha- end up happening. It's, it's going to be the Reagan years again, where you just grant amnesty. And it's funny because when we started talking was, we started doing this podcast at the very beginning. I remember they were arguing about, well, we could have somewhere between 12 and 15 and, and upwards of 18 million illegals here. And like you're just talking about with the, with the two million, dude. We're going to be in the 30s. We're going to be in the 30 million illegal capacity. 10 percent of our population will be illegal immigrants. Of note, notice how the verbiage has changed. You know, we talked about the war on words all the time. You know, it used to be illegal aliens, then it went to uh, undocumented persons, 
And then all of a sudden with Martha's Vineyard, they became migrants, right? So it's, uh, to me, the, the, the problem is a lot, it, it's a complicated issue. I think there are some very easy solutions or easier solutions that will at least get the ball moving in the right direction. But you know what? When have we done anything with immigration? You know, and they're even talking about now that it's not even Title 42 anymore. Very few are being processed under that or turned away. It's now Title 8, which is our normal immigration, you know, uh, CFR or policy procedure. I mean, it's, it's not going to get fixed. It's not going fi- to fix in our lifetime. And I don't care which political party. Republicans have had control. Democrats have had control. And you know what any of them have ever done about it? Nothing. I mean, at least with Trump, at least like, hey, maybe the wall works. Maybe it doesn't work. What? Hey, do something. And I think from the numbers we can see, and it wasn't just the wall, right? It was the number, it was the wall, it was the agreements we had with, with Central American comp- countries. But it's like he did something, and I can look at the numbers, man, and say, well, obviously what he did worked or had some impact. And I think that you need Remain in Mexico policy, absolutely. And I think that's where, because when you do the Remain in Mexico policy, okay, it, it's exactly what DeSantis and, and Abbott are doing. Because when you're letting everybody in, nobody else feels the pain. Okay, you start shipping them to D.C., you start shipping them to Martha's Vineyard, you start shipping them to Chicago, you start saying, oh, by the way, you got to stay in Mexico. Guess who else feels the pain? And so now no longer do you have just yourself fighting this. You you have agreements with those other countries. You had to remain in Mexico policy and then come up with this expedited process. Hey, let's cut you a a tax ID number. Let's give you a background check and and you can come in and work. And then from there, you obviously have to figure something else out. Right. You just can't just let them stay here forever like that. Uh, But you have to do something. And and up until the Trump years, we haven't done anything. I'll I'll throw it over to Josh, but I want to touch base real quick on the on the IRS agent because it's really only a one liner. So. For the 87,000 IRS agents, it's going to cost the government roughly $10 billion annually to employ them, okay? Because, it, well, no, you shake your head. It's salary, benefits, taxes, this and that, right? It's going to cost them $10 billion. Yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to cost roughly $10 billion. Again, you can throw a billion plus minus on that, whatever. Just And, and I'm going off the average salary. Of, so here's a – I'm using the average IRS salary of – $60,000 a year, which from the training that I've seen with these, some of these guys and gals, they're going to be making more than $60,000 a year. Okay. Um, do you know how much the IRS is expected to recover according to their own bills by having the 87,000 IRS agents annually? $10 billion. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> We we live in the dumbest of times, truly. We truly do, dude. And that's being generous. That's being generous on the numbers. <laughs> we it's it, we live in the dumbest of times hey, on, on, on the immigration thing. You know, I'm with you. I, I'm the same way. If I lived in one of these, you know, you know, one of these Central South American countries or any, you know any country that was absolutely terrible, um, and I was able, you know, to you know, plane trains and automobiles my way, you know, into the United States to, you know, get a job and, and make some money to send back home to take care of my family, I would absolutely do it. All right. So I get that. I'm not, you know, I'm not completely heartless. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, it, it, we have to be picky about who we let in our door. You know, we, I mean, we just have to, and I'm sorry. It's just, you know, people would say, well, that's cold. That's heartless. That's okay. Well, that's reality. 
right? And sometimes reality can be cold and sometimes reality can be heartless. Now, what we can't do is sink our ship, you know, trying to save everyone because you just can't do it. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to throw out some numbers on what Texans, right? So Texas, this is what Texans pay every single year. This is out of the office of Bill Paxton, um, who is the the Texas AG. This is off the um, attorney general's website. Uh, this is what Texans are paying every year to for and this is for the year 2021. All right, to to take care of illegal immigrants, 579 million and 717 million each year for public hospital districts to provide uncompensated care for illegal aliens, 152 million to house illegal criminal aliens for one year, uh, 62 million and 90 million to include illegal aliens in the state emergency Medicaid program. More than one million to include them and provide services from the family violence program, thirty million and thirty-eight million per year on perinatal coverage for illegal aliens through the children's health insurance program, and thirty-one million to sixty-three million to educate unaccompanied alien children each year. That's what Texans paid in twenty twenty-one for illegal aliens. Now you talk about, you know, include the other States in that. And that's not all what, you know, Texans, obviously, you know, they receive federal funding, some federal funding for some of this stuff. So it's not just Texans paying into that. It's, it's everybody. It's all us us taxpayers are paying into that. Meanwhile, we have, you know, like Roger pointed out earlier, meanwhile, we have, you know, military members being told to go on food stamps because they can't, you know, they can't cover the costs because of poor, you know, poor policies, um, you know, that have created inflation. Um, you know, we can't take care of homeless veterans because, you know, well, the funds just aren't there, but yet we can take care of millions of illegal aliens who, you know, come in the country. Um, it just, it, 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 it's not right. It's, I don't care how you cut it. We cannot sustain this. Our two biggest drivers of cost in this country are what? Medicaid and Social Security. All right. We, you know, we're $30 trillion in debt and we're just going to keep spending, you know, we're going to keep raising taxes to take care of people who continuously come, who, you know, aren't all accounted for. I forget, uh, I forget the name, um, but, you know, the Border Patrol just arrested somebody who had already been you know, convicted for murder in Miami and deported. And they caught him coming across, you know, coming illegally back across the border. They tried to make an asylum claim, right? That's who's come, that, you know, that's part of the folks coming into this country illegally. You know, if you want to come in, you show up at a port of entry, you declare yourself, you know, people like to, you know, AOC and others like to invoke, you know, uh, Ellis Island and, you know, the Irish and and everybody who who came over. Yeah, well, I can go right now and pull the ship's manifest of where my ancestors came over. They showed up to a port of entry. They were screened, medically screened. They were given their name. And in some instances, they changed their, you know, they were given a new last name. They had to drop an E or, you know, whatever. Right. And then they were sent off with nothing in their pocket. And, you know, basically it was like, you're going to figure it out. Right. That's a whole lot different than me coming across a border illegally, you know, and, and disappearing, you know, north of I-10. It's just, this is, 
it's not sustainable if we want to remain a nation. It's just, it's not. You have a lock on your door and you have walls in your house for an effing reason. You don't leave your front door unlocked when you go to bed at night. But yet we do as a country, which is absolutely insane to me. It's absolutely insane. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I got to say on that. I'll throw it over to Luke. It'd be nice if they were if if it was a if it was a transparent thing, right? If it, sure. if this was just transparent, it's like, hey, you know what? We're just gonna let we're just gonna open open the border, and you're gonna you're gonna wait in line, and we're gonna process you and just send you out. If they were transparent about that, it's like, well, at least they're being transparent, and we can have a, a, a legitimate argument about how many people we should be letting in, so on and so forth. Uh, but they're not being transparent, you know, and. You know, a lot of people are, are just, you know, the Martha's Vineyard type people. And I'd say 99% of people are like, well, we'll take care of them because, you know, that's what we pay our taxes for. You know, uh, my taxes will take care of that. Like the the Texas residents, you know, who, who pay those millions and millions of dollars that Josh was talking about just a second. It's like, that's all good. My taxes take care of that. I, I feel good because I support the policies that allow services like that. And I'm okay with it. And I'm a good person because I pay my taxes and I'm, I'm all for that, but there's no true sense of ownership with it. Nothing. None of these people who are bleeding hearts would volunteer a day's worth of their time to, you know, go to an NGO down at the border who provides these services that Josh was talking about. They're not going to spend a day in their life, but here's the thing. There are a lot of volunteers that do and, and good on them. You know, they're putting their their money where their mouth is. They're volunteering. They really do care. Uh, but those are few and far between. You know, the people down in, Mar- in Martha's Vineyard, they're not like you were saying with Obama. Nobody's going to open their house to them, which, by the way, I guarantee there are some racists on Martha's Vineyard who are not OK with the Obamas having a house there. I promise you that. And it's probably over 50 percent of them. I'll tell you what, man, you know, th- this whole thing reminds me of. The, the Martha's Vineyard, the, the the vice president, and a few months ago when they dropped him off right in front of the Capitol. You know, there was a migrant crisis in, in Europe uh, in 2016, and it was a mass migration. They all came at the same time because of the Syrian, what was going on in Syria. Turkey just kind of let them go. And the saying was, and a lot of them, there were 500,000 people that passed through the tiny country of Slovenia. This is before I got there. And Slovenia snapped into uh, the Slovenians are like Austrians, you know, they snapped into their very methodical way of doing things. They moved all 500,000 of those migrants in a very short order and they recorded every one of them. It was scary how efficient they were at that. And the saying goes that 500,000 Slovenia is a country of 2 million people. Okay. It's, It's not a big country. The saying is 500,000 migrants moved through Slovenia and no one in the capital stopped stirring their cappuccino. And the point behind that saying was if Austria and all the uh, Austria, Italy, uh, Hungary, if they closed their border with Slovenia and those people were those 500,000 migrants were stuck in Slovenia, there would have been a, a humanitarian crisis the likes you've never seen before because they just did not have the capacity to handle it. And that's how Martha's Vineyard is. That's how people on the on the damn suburbs of Chicago, you know, rich white neighborhoods. They, oh wow, there's a there's a crisis at the border. 
and they don't stop making the the crustless PB and J for little Johnny. It, it just doesn't affect them. So yeah, ship them off. You know, if they want to go to Chicago, but again, it's it's not going to solve anything because these people, if they're Venezuelan, for instance, or if Cuban or whatever, they're going to a place where there's an insular community uh, of the same nationality, someone who's already here. So I, I don't know. I don't know at what point this starts uh, sinking in with Joe and Jane Sixpack living in Iowa. You know, I, I, I don't know when that happens. That's why I wanted to ask about the long term effects. Like, when are people actually going to start feeling it? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So I don't know. That's it's a it's a complex thing, and it's something we're going to be dealing with, like Roger said, in the near term and and the long term. So I want to bring up one other thing real quick. We, we've been chatting about uh, before we close this thing out. I guess we can go around the horn uh, once, but I think I figured out the GOP's play. So coming up, and I guess for for each of you, uh, I'm kind of curious on, on how you're feeling about the House and the Senate uh, with the midterm elections. So I'm pretty convinced we're going to take the House. I think the House just a matter of how many seats. It's anything that's uh, that's from uh, two seats to 25. And I think on the high end, you hear 33. I don't know. We get to the high end. I think we'd probably sit somewhere around the 15 mark or whatever. The Senate races are becoming much closer. And what we're starting to see on the Senate side of the House, and, and it's expected, right? You get to the midterms, the closer and closer you get to the election, the more it tightens up. But there's been a big money problem on the GOP side. And when you look at Blake Masters, and I think even with Oz, they're talking about there's some fundage drying up. And I'm just sitting here wondering, I'm just like, what is Mitch McConnell? And I know there's a, uh, there is a disconnect between Rick Scott and, and McConnell. Uh, phys- philosophically, they have differences on, on the future of the GOP and what should be going on right now. But I'm sitting here thinking, I'm just like, man, what are they doing? Because in a lot of these races, we're, and I say we're conservatives, the, the GOP, they're within earshot in some places leading. I think in Georgia, we're starting to see Herschel Walker with, with some leading polls uh, where they could actually take back the Senate. But Josh, I think I've come to this conclusion. Well, there, there's twofold to this. So one, they are willing to give up Georgia, which Georgia may actually go red. Uh, they're willing to give up Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Arizona because the GOP believes that they can win Colorado, New Mexico, and New Hampshire. Uh, and just, I don't know anything about those state politics. Looking at straight polls, it looks like there's probably one seat that the red that the GOP can pull. Uh, out of all all three of those, maybe two. I, I'm not positive, but maybe one, maybe two. So my thought process is, and I've heard this kind of in the rumor mill that they just want to swap those three out for the other three, and then maybe you'll get a mixed bag somewhere where something Arizona actually goes uh, for Blake Masters as opposed to to Mark Kelly again. But then, kind of reality set in, and I want to get your thought on this. I think Mitch McConnell knows. We're going to take the House. But the GOP establishment hates not only Trump, but the entire Trump movement so much that they're willing to give up the Senate in the midterms. I'm actually convinced of that now because they know that if the House is controlled by the Republicans, you can lock up the government. Okay, you're going into the last two years of a failed presidency. Uh, the House, you know, obviously has to pass uh, the bills for it to go forward or, or for it to finally be uh, for the president to finally sign off on it. So they can they can freeze and stall legislative action. Uh, there's not a whole lot you can do if you don't have both the House and the Senate, unless it's something that's truly going to be bipartisan. So I am convinced that Mitch McConnell is absolutely happy with the Republicans taking the House 
keeping a tie in the Senate, maybe even giving up a seat in the Senate, knowing that we can tie up legislative action for the next two years, lame duck president, and in hopes that he kills the the Trump movement. That's what I think their playbook is. So I, I don't know. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Anywhere, anywhere close? I think it's pretty bold of you to think that the GOP has a plan. Uh, that's so, true. Good point. Um, I, I, so uh, I was reading uh, this morning because uh, I woke up at like 3.30 in the morning for, for absolutely no reason other than I couldn't go to sleep. And uh, I was reading to where I forget which poll it was, but basically it's moved the, uh, you know, the opinion on whether the GOP is going to take back the house or not to like one point um, to where it's like, people are like, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't know. Uh, you know, again, because the GOP continues to fail, you know, to, to present clear policies um, and, and, and synchronize the effort across, you know, across the country. Uh, you know, Lindsey Graham coming out saying that, you know, they're, the GOP is going to introduce legislation to make abortion illegal after 15 weeks, federal, you know, federal, federal ban on abortion after 15 weeks. It's like, what was what he thinking? Doing? I, what the hell I, was I, he I don't thinking? know. I don't know. And it's like, dude, you, the Supreme Court literally came out and said the federal government has absolutely no say in that. And that's what a lot of people supported. It's like, absolutely. Yes. Like, you know, it it was, it was congressional overreach or or not congressional overreach. It was overreach, you know, on on Roe v. Wade. And it was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And now, you know, that alone right there, you know, and again, I don't know know, what the thought process was behind that, but it was like, "Dude, dude, what are you doing? Like, you know, it's just, it's, they're a mess. It's a mess. Uh, you know, we don't have time to, to get into the, you know, the whole thing, but it's just one of many reasons why I, I, I'm kind of done with the GOP by and large. Um, you know, the, the Pennsylvania race with Oz and Fetterman is a hot mess. You know, Fetterman has, you know, John McCain's cheek growing on the back of his neck. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, you know, after, after his stroke, that, that, that's just an absolute mess. Oz is putting out some terrible commercials. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, we'll, we'll just have to see cause I, I wouldn't bank on the GOP taking the house, um, or the Senate at this point. I, I just, I, I don't have faith in them to, to win. I really don't. So we'll see how that shakes out. If they were smart, they'd already be playing on this border thing. Uh, but I, I don't see that happening. And I, I just wonder why, <laughs> why, why guys, it's just, I think that McConnell thinks he has a plan, but whatever. I, I'm I'm like Josh. I'm done with it. I do think we'll take the House, the Senate. I don't know, man. We'll see. There's some races no one's talking about. Roger sent sent that text the other day and uh, about Nevada in particular. I was like, hmm, I didn't know that. And so I started looking into it. I'm like, wow, that's that's a vulnerable thing. Everybody's attention is focused on Herschel Walker and uh, uh, Oz, Mechman Oz down up there in Pennsylvania. So, you know, who knows? Uh, we'll see. Uh about the Senate, but I do believe we'll take the house. Um, yeah, I just want to give a quick shout out to my boy, James. Yeah. Wow. Very nice. It is. It's really nice. And Josh was kind enough to send it. It was wrapped up like a, like a nuclear weapon or something or like biohazard. That thing was (laughs) packed in there. Good. Nothing was going to break. It's a U.S. special operations command mug. That's going to go in a place of honor. Don't even want to put coffee in it. It's good enough for some good bourbon, though, I think. 
Uh, I was kind of hoping that when Josh sent me that, it would be some some bourbon samples. I was really excited about that. And I opened it up, and there was a nice jacket in there. And look at that. Is that old soul? Nice. Nice. So, yeah, Josh sent me a really nice jacket, uh, extra medium, just like I like them. And uh, he just didn't wear them anymore. I'm getting Josh's hand-me-downs. That's 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 the level I'm at now. <laughs> like, you can throw that away? Send it, send it my way. Uh, with that half a cheeseburger you didn't eat and congratulations to josh's daughter too man uh we want to give a quick second on that josh yeah so uh so our middle daughter uh she's uh you know she's 15 she she has stated you know she wants to make her own money um and, and she wants to work and so she just started uh working for the lord's chicken um you know, being that it's that is the number one chicken place in, in the United States and, and you know, far beats Popeye's. Um, but you're really proud, especially, you know, 15 years old. I remember I was 15 years old. I don't think I really wanted to work, um, but she she wanted to get out there and get after it. Um, so she's uh, she's now employed. Um, I can't wait for her to get her first paycheck now and see the taxes. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> then we're going to go. We're going to go take that box of Lipton tea. We're going to go throw it in the pond behind our house. Nice. You get any free chicken out of that at all? Uh, Not yet, but uh, I'm going to get some free cookies, man. Chick-fil-A got the bomb cookies. Okay. Well, Um, I was hoping. I I bet they've cracked down on that back in the day. Our boy Scott used to work at Chick-fil-A, and and he'd bring us uh, all the leftover chicken breasts that, that weren't weren't eaten at the end of the day buddy i didn't we didn't know how good we had it back then but yeah congratulations to her she's really gonna learn a lot that's not just you know roger's upset she didn't go to work for popeyes but man chick-fil-a's got a system down and she's gonna be able to see that and i think that's a really great first job to have because man their system works tell you what so thanks to james thanks to carlton zeus uh for the great intro music uh visit us at uh culperscanteencup.com visit him at uh carltonzeus.com and we appreciate it. He's still letting us. We're trying to angle to get him on for episode 100. This was, in case you didn't know, Culper's Canteen Cup episode 98. So if you've just been listening to us, didn't realize what you were listening to, we did a cold open. So I hope you all enjoyed that. But until next time, keep your canteen cups full and tightly secured. <laughs>